I'm Kyle. And I'm Trevor, and welcome to Catching Up on Cinema. If you aren't familiar with the program, Catching Up on Cinema is a film analysis podcast wherein we introduce each other to films, expand our cinematic horizons, and, in essence, catch up on our cinema. So it is the month of June 2021, and we are in the midst of our drinking movie month. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is brought to you by Kyle, who is, of course, (laughs) the only dranker uh, between the two of our co-hosts here. But, uh... Kyle, what is the film that we will be covering in this week's installment? Uh, this week is Train Spotting, uh, 1996, uh, directed by Danny Boyle. Um, this is based on the novel by Irvin Welsh, who I believe has a small role in the film. I was looking for him, but I didn't catch him. Um, yeah, this one, uh, you've been, I think for a long time, you've been putting this one off. Uh, yeah, that is true. Um, this movie has a stellar reputation. Uh, in fact, a lot of my friends in like high school uh, were really, really into this. Uh, but yeah, for whatever reason, I, I never really got around to it. And in fact, uh, Danny Boyle as a filmmaker was largely an unknown quantity to me until we started doing the show. Mm-hmm. And oddly enough, uh, you started subjecting me to a lot of his work. <laughs> yeah, surprisingly, this is the third Danny Boyle film that we've covered. Uh, we're in- Probably not going to do Slumdog Millionaire or Yesterday. Those are the other two big ones I know by him. Yeah, and that, I think he may have done the, the live-action Aladdin as well. But, oh, yeah, uh, we're folks not at doing home, <laughs> If you're curious, the other two movies of Danny Boyle's that, that Kyle had picked for the show uh, and, and, in fact, had introduced me to were uh, The Beach and uh, 28 Days Later, which, surprisingly enough, I had not seen until Kyle introduced me to it. Yeah. Getting you all caught up on the Danny Boyle. I think we're about done. Yeah, we're <laughs> like we're actually legit catching up on cinema for a change. Yeah. Imagine that. Right? <laughs> um, yeah, so this one, uh, I didn't... I remember seeing Ewan McGregor on the cover of this movie. This was like one of those in the movie store that you'd see. Like It, was, it had a very uh, 90s cover. And it looked like a lot of fun, but I had no idea what it was about. And then I just kind of put it off in the back of my mind. And then he came out as Obi-Wan Kenobi. And then I don't remember when I watched this for the first time. Maybe like 2013, 2014, I pulled the trigger on it. Um, And it's a lot of fun. It's probably the most fun movie about heroin, I think, that I've seen. Uh, I mean, I would hope so. <laughs> I, it, I don't imagine there are a whole lot of these kinds of movies out there. It's not the most fun movie about substance abuse. That's Wolf of Wall Street. That's That's got to be the most fun about substance abuse. I mean, off the top of my head, I'd probably agree with you. But uh, that's kind of interesting, though, that you saw the movie um, probably closer to the release of the, the second movie, yeah. which um, I... I'm not. I can't speak for you, but from what I've heard, is actually not half bad, despite being one of those strange, more than ten years after the fact sequels. It's pretty good. Um, yeah, you and McGregor doesn't feel like the same character. Like he, he's, he's like he's matured in that movie, so he doesn't feel quite the same. They're all older. It's pretty good, but there is one moment in the movie that I like out loud went "fuck off." Like that's the dumbest line I've ever heard. I won't spoil it for you, but it's fucking. St- stupid oh, maybe okay so well spoiler alert to the audience um i i did enjoy this movie quite a bit mm-hmm. uh, such that the idea of following up with the sequel is something i, I i'm considering i on it might have been that t2 came out and i started watching it and i stopped because i was getting into it i'm like i'm gonna go back and watch train spotting that might have been what happened and then i watched t2 yeah that that would make sense but uh, my other question for you, though, Kyle, uh, would be, why did you pick this movie for Drinking Movie Month? 
This is one of those that I've put on a few times uh, after I'm good and drunk. Like, after I'm like, I don't want to go to sleep. Uh, I just want to stay up and have a couple more beers. And this movie has such a, a great pace, and it's a lot of fun to watch. And you get some drinking in the movie, mostly from Begbie. Uh, but there's actually quite a bit of drinking in this movie uh, as I was watching it this time. But I don't really feel like the, the gentlemen or the folks that are on heroin in the movie enjoy alcohol it's more of like just kind of holding us down until we get our next fix whereas Begbie is a drinker a big drinker yeah no a lot of the communal drinking that goes on seems almost like out of obligation or just just because it's available like we're in the place where we do the thing so I guess we'll do the thing Mm. it's like we're not all here for this moment but you know if I'm gonna be here I'm gonna be drinking along with my lads but um yeah, uh, this this was an interesting pick, uh, being as the the core substance like that we're exploring the film is largely heroin. Mm-hmm. But that would make sense that you have to be pretty good and faded to, to be like in the right mood to watch this. But a uh, follow up question, and I've been asking this for pretty much every movie we've been talking about for Drinking Movie Month, is what kind of drink would accompany a viewing of Train Spotting, Kyle? This is a beer. This I've got. I'll pull out my Imperial pint, and you know. Put a put a beer in there. That's usually what I go with. Okay, is this like a piss beer uh, or a quality beer or what kind of beer? Uh, at the time uh, when I first watched it, it would probably be like Rolling Rock or uh, something cheap. But now it would be something. It would be something a little bit nicer. Uh, winding down, I would probably just do something simple like oh Yingling or maybe an IPA even. Okay, well that makes sense. Yeah. Um, well, uh, rolling right, right along, uh, as has been customary for this month, not every month, uh, I guess I'll try to give us a, a plot rundown for uh, Train Spotting yeah. from 1996, directed by Danny Boyle. <clears throat> uh, okay, so we have a, a gang of friends in Scotland. Most of them are heroin addicts, not all of them. And uh, they have this continual rhythm of, of, a cup of at least one of them, not all of them, uh, trying to get off of heroin unsuccessfully largely uh and they're just a bunch of really shit-headed people Mm -hmm. that occasionally have some minor success in their life and treat it like it's the biggest fucking deal in the world and then they uh trip over themselves and we get to watch all the merry mishaps ensue it is a merry (laughs) mishaps yes very much a merry mishaps movie uh yes let me uh i'll I'll give a rundown of the cast uh before we jump into this opening scene because the opening scene is going to get us into the music a little bit because there's pretty much two types of music in this film um but we have ewan mcgregor playing our lead uh mark or renton or rinse however you want to what do you want to call him by uh ewan brimner who plays spud johnny lee miller playing sick boy kevin mckidd who plays tommy uh, Steph recognized him, but I didn't rec- I didn't. I haven't seen this guy in anything. The blonde kid. You have actually. Um, I believe he was in Dog Soldiers. Oh uh, yes, yes, previous yes. episode. <laughs> Dog I, Soldiers. Because I, I looked him up. I'm like, oh, I've seen him in Dog Soldiers. That's right. Uh, and I believe he had a a stint on um, what was it the Rome television series as well as uh, I think Grey's Anatomy. He, yes, he, Steph's like yes, he's on Grey's Anatomy. I looked at that. That thing is still going. It's still going. That's I know. Insane. Uh, yeah, Brad from the Cinema Speak podcast informed me the other day that his girlfriend was watching it, and I was like, "Is that still going?" <laughs> Put this in perspective. Uh, I've been out of high school for many years. My friend, I remember, she told me that her least favorite class was anatomy because it was nothing like Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> she took that in high school. Oh my god! Yeah how how many 
physicians and clinicians can fuck in the in one hospital under one roof how many bodily fluids (laughs) (laughs) like from the staff (laughs) are painting the walls of that establishment i mean hopefully covid got everybody to zip it up but geez who knows no, I, I've seen a f- my fair share of Grey's Anatomy, and really? oh my god, the, cool. the fucking that goes on in that <laughs> sh- the, It's such a like incestuous workplace. It reminds me of working at Value Village. <laughs> you put Patrick Dempsey in a doctor's coat and try not to fuck him. I mean, every, everybody fucks in that show. It's ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, was his name uh, Dream, uh, uh, Dr. Mc, McDreamy? McDreamy, yeah. Yeah. That's racist. <laughs> Dempsey. <laughs> um, yes. Uh, then we have my favorite character, Robert Carlyle, playing Begbie, Francis Begbie. Great name, by the way. Um, <laughs> Kelly McDonald playing Diane. I don't think you're going to recognize her, but I, I do know her. Um, Peter Mullen playing uh, oh, Mother Superior, or Swaney, I think is his name. And then... James Cosmo playing Mr. Renton, and this is that Scottish guy. That Scottish guy that just pops up. Yeah, um, folks who are not aware, Kyle has this thing that he likes to point out to me. It's uh, post-Game of Thrones careers. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> uh, this guy, Kyle had pointed out to me, is a legit actor who's mm-hmm. been working long before and after Game of Thrones. He's been, he's had a very successful career as a working actor. Um, not everybody is so fortunate uh, mm-hmm. when it comes to their, their <laughs> post Game of Thrones career. <laughs> um, but yeah, this this fellow was in Braveheart. Um, in fact, the fellow who played a uh, Mother Superior was also in Braveheart. Go figure. You know how many Scottish actors are there? Like, like let's yeah. let's just get them all in in one picture if we can. Well, I love James Cosmo um, in uh, Braveheart. He plays uh, oh D- uh, Gleason. Uh, God damn it, the big one, the dad. I don't know names, but isn't he the one that has one of his limbs removed and yeah. kind of still trucks along? Yeah. <laughs> Brendan Gleeson. That's what I remember. Yeah, he's Brendan Gleeson's dad in Braveheart, and he's the one that they have to cauterize his wound, and he jumps up and knocks the dude out. Yeah. I mean, you, when it comes to casting Brendan Gleeson's dad yeah. in anything, you you got to get a certain type of Papa Bear build. Yeah. <laughs> this guy's pretty big. Um, I mean, both both these guys, they're their fucking head could fill a doorway. <laughs> he cracks me up. So in, uh, he's also in. He pops up in Chernobyl, and everybody in that show is supposed to be Ukrainian or Russian or whatever. And even the workers are like doing British accents. He's the only one that tries a Ukrainian accent. Yeah, that's a funny thing about that is that I, I did notice that nobody attempts to do an accent for the most part. Um, and it, it's to the production's benefit. Yes. It's like, just don't bother. It, it would like, be distracting. It, you're all good actors. You're going to do better if you just do it naturally. But, yeah, I, I did notice that. Um, he was in a Scott Adkins movie, by the way, oh. uh, as the bad guy. Um, oh. I believe it was I believe it's, it was the one with Wade Barrett, the wrestler, in it. Um, it's uh, I can't remember the name off the top of my head, but it's actually not half bad. It's a pretty good one. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a it's a WWE production too. Oh yeah, no. I, I took, <laughs> Mark, Mark, seal of approval. <laughs> yeah, I, I rented a horror movie and then WWE Productions came on and I went back and I didn't watch it because it was a WWE just, just, production. Nope, 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 nope. Nope, nope, nope. <laughs> nope, nope not wasting my night. <laughs> Sorry, WWE Productions. Eh, you know it. It is what it is, but. Um, anyway, who else we got, Kyle? Anyone? Uh, no, that was pretty much it. Uh, and like I said, the uh, the person who wrote the novel pops up somewhere in the film, but I didn't catch where he was at. 
I did catch him. Okay. Um, and it's only because I saw a photo of what the guy looked like. Is he the judge? Um, Irvin Welsh. Uh, no, actually. Uh, he plays the the low-grade drug dealer, uh, the guy who gives him the suppositories. Oh. Uh, who pops up one more time in the film after that, really. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, he plays kind of a a low-key member of the cast. He, he doesn't contribute a whole lot other than to be made fun of. But, yeah, that's, that's our author. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is interesting to note, like just glancing at like some of the background on the film, I didn't do any research, so I'm not going to have a whole lot of production details. Um, but that's fine. This movie is an enjoyable experience, regardless of what you know about what it went into it. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think it's interesting that uh, if if I'm right, uh, Ewan Bremner uh, actually played Renton uh, in like a stage production of the novel. Really? Yeah. Uh, I couldn't see that, but then again, I was telling you before we recorded that Ewan Bremner seems to have a tendency to be typecast as like a, a goofy character yeah. and a dip, like yeah, kind of a a goof, um, especially in American productions where his accent is exploited to to high heaven. Like uh, the run the rundown in particular comes to mind, where uh, the editing in that movie is maddening. It's a Peter Berg production, and oh. he's he's eccentric to say. Yeah, I'm not. I, he doesn't. I'm not do- a huge fan of Peter Berg. I wouldn't give him eccentric. That's pretty generous. He's <laughs> find a different word if you can. I don't eccentric doesn't seem like it seems like a compliment. <laughs> yeah, you're right. There there is a better word, but uh, towards the end of that movie, there's a lot of these random cutbacks where it's just Ewan Bremner yelling Scottishisms. Uh, it's just unintelligible Scottish stuff, and then we cut back and forth between that and like bulls charging and explosions, and it's it- like. What on what planet does any of this make sense? You're, this is you cutting for the energy of the flow, having no paying no mind to coherency. I guess I've seen that movie twenty times. I'd say uh, for some reason it was just one of those movies we had on the loop. I don't remember him in that movie at all. He plays the pilot, as far as I oh, okay. Now, yeah, does he have aviators on like the whole time? Yeah, he yeah, has yeah, aviators yeah. on the whole time. He shows up in a kilt with bagpipes at yes. the end because, again, haha, Scottish. He's foreign, dude. funny. <laughs> it's yeah. it's it's on the same level as fat guy fall down humor. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, he has actually been on our show uh, previously in the form of Aliens vs Predator. Yes. Um, where he is unceremoniously and very cruelly killed off. Uh, mm-hmm. They go to great lengths to point out the fact that he has kids and he will not be going home to, no. to greet them ever again. It's like, wow, yeah. that's a detail I didn't need in my otherwise you know, fun yeah. summer blockbuster like action sci-fi movie. In the second one, we're just killing kids in the open cre- opening credits. So, And that's how you know they're doing it right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, I don't like any of these people anyway. <laughs> uh, I, I do like him getting bullied by Bullet Tooth Tony and Snatch. Uh, he's ah. yeah. You can barely understand him in that movie too. And I don't even think he's upping the Scottish accent in there. It's just he's hard to understand. It seems to be uh, he seems to be typecast for that. It's like not just a Scot, but like an unintelligible, like so fucking Scottish that even the Scots don't understand yeah. him. <laughs> yeah, I could see that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so where do we go from here? Let's open this uh, opening shot because this movie starts with energy and it really doesn't let up. Like it kind of slows down near the the third act i think but uh for the most part the movie's pretty uh, fast paced especially starting out um we get two two people uh running from the cops one we don't know yet one we obviously know is obi-wan kenobi um we get this 
We get Iggy Pop's Lust for Life uh, playing over the soundtrack, which is a very, if you've never heard of the song, it's very upbeat. If you've seen a car commercial, you've heard it uh, at this point. He he go, he go went ahead and sold the rights to that song a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, no, I know exactly what you're talking about. But uh, uh, um, yeah, the, the energy of this opening sequence is pretty incredible. Uh, we get introduced to pretty much all of our principal cast. Mm-hmm. And what's kind of remarkable about this is that it's important to note, this is 1996. Um, having freeze frames and on-screen titles for your character introductions was still very novel and still very new in 1996. I don't mind it in this movie. Exactly. That's what I'm getting at because this is something that I've I've criticized. I've often pointed to as like a, a go-to for like, oh, you know, you know, you're in for some shit if they're doing this. Um, but all those movies that do that poorly are just imitating this, and you know, a lot of a lot of like that Tarantino kind of vibe a lot of those coffee talk movies that were springing up in the mid 90s and whatnot Guy Ritchie does it uh, I'll, I'll allow it in Snatch just because there's a lot of people and it's a British film and I do want to know the names of these people that because like, you're just jumping into the mix and you're all these different nicknames are going around it'd be nice to have a name to go with those faces um but yeah, we get this. Uh, I call it the working class hero spiel, where uh, we can. It's you know Obi Wan Kenobi just doing a voiceover, and he's just like, you can get the car, the the job. They're just basically, you can live the quiet, safe suburban life and be a fucking sheep, basically. And he's like, it's just not for me right now, man. Yeah, I actually found the monologue. Um, I'm not sure if you want to read it on the air, but folks at home, uh, this is a famous sequence in film history, so um, I don't think I'm going to read it, but uh, basically there's a lot of uh, repetition of the word choose. Um, and it's worth looking up uh, if you're interested, or just watch the Just watch the movie. movie. Because, yeah, it's, it's very, very good. It's only like 95 minutes long. But um, yeah, we get introduced to everybody. Uh, I think Sick Boy comes next. Um, and we also get to see everybody playing a, a little bit of uh, footy. Uh, they're playing f- football yes. or soccer, as we call it here in the yeah, states. Soccer. Um, and we get we get to see a Spud uh, botch, you know, blocking a shot. Uh, he's the goalie because why the fuck not? Uh, and then we also get to see that Begbie is fairly aggro here, even before oh, yeah. he's had some drinks, and uh, minus his uh, trusty blade, which he just seems to have on his person at all times. Yes. <laughs> I don't know where he keeps it, but it always it's just always at the ready, always ready to go. Um, but we're doing a lot of cross-cutting between locations and, and settings, and there's this really cool bit where I believe it's uh, Ewan McGregor like standing upright, and he's rocking back and forth, like smoking, and he just kind of like collapses, just falls flat on his back, and we get to see that happen in two different locations, both on the soccer field and in... What would you call Mother Superior's dwelling? Like, like, is this the office or the this <laughs> the, the cave? This is a this is a drug den. Um, the chapel, yeah. <laughs> uh, the restaurant, maybe. He, there is a there is a really funny, a nice moment where he goes, he relapses basically, and uh, he treats it like a di- like a like a diner. He's going in for a nice meal. It's a fun it's a fun little uh, scene. But yeah, it's just a fucking shithole that. Uh, it's just terrible. Uh, Ewan McGregor's doing the heroin lean, the the sleepy lean, where it's like, I actually almost had to pull somebody uh, away from the sidewalk waiting for the bus one day because this guy was like leaning over, but some luckily uh, the bus hit the horn and he shot up like nothing. But yeah, I thought I was gonna have to pull him out. Eesh. Yeah, I, I think I've seen uh, Eddie Griffin do a very good impression of that. Yes, yeah, stand up. Uh, one, one of his old stand ups. Yeah, where, like he's he's like 
just contorting and like bending in all these strange angles. It's like, how yeah. is he still upright? <laughs> but I think it's sad because I think it's supposed to be his dad that he's talking about, or maybe it's his uncle or something. I think it was his uncle. Yeah. And yeah, it, it was pretty sad, but you know, a lot of, a lot of comedy comes from lived experience and, yeah. you know, truth. Uh, but that's, that's part of the process, Kyle. That's, uh, you know, putting it out there, it robs it of some of its power. Um, I think we, we're, we're kind of introduced, we kind of get the gist of each character as we're introduced to them. You kind of get the idea, like Ewan Brimner uh, plays Spud, he's kind of a dipshit. Uh, sick boy, you, I immediately, when I was watching this, I'm like, he's the biggest piece of shit uh, out of all these guys. Um, because he is in the process of getting, a, he's giving a woman heroin for the first time. And I believe she has her baby at the uh, at uh, Mother Superior's house. Yeah, uh, she does. Uh, and the the baby is a is a visual reminder every once in a while that you know even though these people are all all having a great time, uh, they're also not good people. Yes, and they're also neglect. They're basically like neglecting the practice of living life. Honestly, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's it's kind of framed at least in this movie. I can't speak for just the general practice of using heroin, but in this film. It's kind of framed as like an escape hatch, kind of. Yeah. Like, like when people want to be shooting up, it's generally when when they just don't want to be involved in whatever is going on in in this particular moment. Well, there's no windows in this in this little apartment. Like it's just it's just them. It's just their own little world where they, there's no outside world. It's just them in this room, and it's really disgusting room. Yeah, I'm glad you pointed that out because the the production design in this movie is really stunning. Mm-hmm. Like like you can tell this wasn't a high budget movie by any means, but um, the casting, the cinematography, the editing, and the set designs are really really visually spectacular kind of stuff. Like like I say that even in reference to the casting, because what's kind of amazing is this entire opening sequence is mostly just narrated by Ewan McGregor, and yet just from a visual standpoint, like Kyle had said we kind of get a pretty good feel for what these guys are all about just based on how they look and how they carry themselves. Mm-hmm. Like Spud is often framed to look like a doofus, like case in point, him sucking at soccer. Yeah. And then Beg B, we get to see that he's like super aggro when he's playing soccer. So it's like, keep an eye on him. He's probably <laughs> going to start some shit yes. later. <laughs> and yeah, Sick Boy, We our introduction to him, aside from this, like the soccer field, is uh, him slapping a woman's forearm veins and... T- like rambling on and on and on about James Bond mm-hmm. um, while, while you know, trying to find a vein to, to jab some heroin in her. Um, and the way that he's speaking to her, uh, just his, his speech pattern in general, you can, t- you can tell he has a sense of like self-importance to him. Mm-hmm. Like, like he, he has an ego. Um, whereas like someone like Spud, I don't, I don't think he no. has that problem, but, but sick boy seems like he generally has a very high opinion of himself. And, Later on, we get that scene where he's dressing himself in a suit, and he's also a schemer, mm-hmm. uh, as we learn a schemer, as we learn a little bit later on in the film. Uh, so yeah, I, I would agree with you. He's probably the biggest piece of shit. Begbie, at least, is honest yes. with his shittiness. You like, know like, what you know what you're. Yeah, you know what you're getting. You when know Begbie what you're getting with fucking Begbie. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, sick, sick boy will pull the rug out from under you. Begbie, it's like, just don't invite him. Don't. <laughs> like, just don't let him in. Don't look at him. <laughs> we'll get to more Begbie. Um, but yes, uh, as he's giving this woman uh, some heroin, she goes, fuck, that beats any meat injection. And it was the first time I caught that line, which I thought was pretty funny. Um, yeah. 
it, it's a good one um and it syncs up really well with the narration as well where basically this is this is the whimsical part of the story where heroin has yet to be demonized to us the audience mm-hmm. this is the part where we're we're in the space with the characters we're on the same level with them so their joy is our joy as the viewer um and yeah uh, he does describe it as like better than any sex you could get but um beats any fucking cock in the world <laughs> as i think what the narration said that's what i've heard um, it's supposed to be pretty great but he's actually uh at the beginning he's getting clean which is which i kind of forgot was like oh i i didn't realize that was like within the first five minutes he's like oh i'm getting off heroin now <laughs> yeah uh it's it's pretty great sure you um, are <laughs> <laughs> yeah he basically pops up from the ground he like rises up from from the ground and immediately is like i gotta quit the shit yeah. <laughs> um i did like the little aside where we get to see begbie and tommy um in a pool hall together mm-hmm. like, playing billiards um and we learn that the two of them uh, do not partake um, but, yeah. but, but what's pretty great is like the timing of yes. Baby saying like I, I don't do that fucking shit that's poison <laughs> he, like, throws, yeah. he throws a beer back like as he's saying it yeah uh, it's pretty great I was gonna say I, he has a point to an extent like heroin can like if you're susceptible to addiction heroin can really ruin you but there are people that drink like heroin addicts like it's He's not he's he's not completely wrong but the way he drinks yeah he's doing better I would say Yeah uh but Tommy Tommy doesn't partake either in fact he says Mark you're wasting your life and we actually get this like it's my understanding that uh these asides are actually um snapshots from memory mm-hmm. where uh the frame is that Ewan McGregor Renton is is collapsed on the floor he's still even got like his strap tied off on his arm uh, so he's just in paradise or whatever but he i think he flashes back to his own memories because everybody's looking directly into the camera when they say these things so both begbie and tommy are condemning his habit and then we also get a moment where his parents are sitting at the dinner table with him and we're made aware of the fact that they're aware that he has a heroin habit mm-hmm. um and then he springs up and i love the the way he rolls up to his feet like like his his head doesn't move his body moves before his head so it's it's almost like he like twists his own neck over it's it's kind of like exorcist like or something oh. um, but yeah he just like runs into the next room and he's like i, I quit this shit <laughs> i don't know how much uh how much truth there is to this but i read on imdb that uh I'm, i assume he did actually do this uh ewan mcgregor like uh researching the role i guess he went to a uh, place for like heroin addicts uh somewhere in scotland and just kind of like learned about it, like what what kind of goes on with heroin addiction. He considered shooting up <laughs> to get what the experience was like, but he decided against it. I don't know if that's true, but <laughs> wouldn't be surprised. Method actors, man. Yeah, I I hope uh, I hope James Franco didn't fuck with meth because um, I I know he he has a he has a tendency to do some method shit with his acting as well. Mm. And uh, he did a movie with Robert De Niro called City by the Sea. That I've heard is, of that. Yeah. It's really not good. Mm-hmm. Like, really not good. Um, in terms of playing a meth head, I think, uh, what was it? Homefront, I think, was the superior picture. It's uh, Jason Statham moves to the south and has to fight oh, God. Uh, meth head James Franco and Frank Grillo and Clancy Brown. So he has to fight Mr. Krabs. <laughs> it's, it's pretty great. That'd be terrifying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's pretty great. Um but yeah, even McGregor uh, Renton at this point, he's like, I gotta get off this shit. And Mother Superior doesn't like 
twist his arm or anything, but he's like, do you want one for the road? Like, one more shot? And he's like, I don't know. I, I, I think I'm good. He's, you can tell he's not good, but he's, like, telling himself I think I'm good. But, yeah. Um, I love the the use of lighting and text texture mm. in the words of the immortal Joss Whedon um, <laughs> on the production design because the way the environments are, are constructed in this movie really reflects like the the general health and like mental well being of a lot of the characters. Like like Tommy, for example, has a very exaggerated example of just like filth mm. later on when, when his health starts to decline. Um, and even here at Mother Superior's place, when when he's having that confrontation, it's not really a aggressive confrontation or anything, but it's just Renton excusing himself from from the heroin habit for now. Spoiler alert! Um, though that corner of the room is just bathed in red light, um, and it gives it kind of a eerie atmosphere to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but we we get our title, uh, Train Spotting, uh, and then the very next scene, uh, Kyle, I'm I'm sure. I'm sure this is like something you have stored away in your memory. Uh, his his shopping list, I his thought, kit. I thought you were gonna say that I had ha- that I had, and like, well, fuck you, dude. I'm not. Uh, I'm not on heroin. <laughs> so uh, no, uh, his his uh, his rehab kit. Yeah, I thought this was amazing. I was gonna write it down, but I'm like, ah, I don't really want to go through all that. Uh, but let me see if I can find it real quick. His rehab kit, because uh, well, it's a I, lot I can, of soup. I can, I can read it back to you in real time. Okay, uh, so. Basically, he he gets himself a room. I don't know if this is a hotel room or what. I think but, it's I uh, think it's his, his apartment. I think he does have an apartment. Oof, yeah, not a good sign when it's barren like this. Yeah, um, tells you what kind of lifestyle one is leaving leading. But um, he barricades his own door uh, by nailing boards into the door frame. Landlord is not going to be happy about yeah. that. <laughs> uh, you need soothing music, uh, 10 tins of tomato soup, and 8 tins of mushroom soup for consumption cold, yeah. ice cream, vanilla, one large tub of milk of magnesia, um, paracetamol, mouthwash, vitamin, vitamins, uh, mineral water, leucosade, pornography, um, and I believe there's also a television involved, uh, one mattress, one bucket for urine, one for feces, one for vomitus, and yes, a television and one bottle of Valium, which he says he has already procured from his mother, who he condemns for being addicted to that. Yes. Um, so yeah, that is his his kit uh, for rehab. Uh, unfortunately, things go tits up immediately because yes. the very like the comedic timing of this is pretty great. Where the next scene we see is uh, all those boards he had painstakingly nailed to the door frame, like torn asunder and laid out in the door frame. And uh, yeah, he heads off to visit the author of the book in which the story is based, uh, Irvin Welsh, Mikey. Yes, and he's trying to get uh, a hit from him, a hit, a dose of heroin, and all he's got <laughs> is uh, opiate deposits uh, for him to put in his butt, and he puts them in right there. I'm like, you could have at least excused yourself to the other room, but no, 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 right there. Um, I think he's, uh, he, where does he go to next? He's, he's just kind of walking around and it hits him. Yeah, uh, I think he's just maybe walking home or yeah. something. But yeah, uh, he he does jab these two capsules up his rectum on the spot. Doesn't even ask for like a a moist towel wet. Yeah, <laughs> like I mean something. Yeah, I guess. Uh, uh, but yeah, he's just like yeah, doing heroin makes you constipated, and he's like, I've been constipated because of the heroin until now. 
No, the the wording of it's actually spectacular. Like he's he's walking, and we we get the sideways view of him walking down the street. And then he like keels over, basically, like bends over at a ninety degree angle, and there's a pause, and just I'm no longer constipated. Yes, and. <laughs> <laughs> we get to him going to it looks like a bookie or like a, a dog racing uh, bar or something like that. Like you can something like that. you can place bets in this place. And I wanted to talk about uh, Ewan McGregor's physical appearance because he is bony thin. Like I think he definitely did. He's not machinist uh, thin, but he's he definitely went on a diet to look like this. He looks gross. He he's the only one that really looks sickly the whole film. Yeah, uh, I guess he he did lose a considerable amount of weight. Uh, not not to like a, a painful like hideous degree, but yeah, he he does look pretty thinned out. And also his pallor, like he's he's very pale and he's got real nasty bags under his eyes. Uh, but he's still Ewan McGregor, so yeah. he's still a very handsome man. Um, but yeah, uh, he just kind of like pushes on through this crowd of mostly older folks placing their bets and whatnot. And I love the the placing of the the title cards here, where mm-hmm. he heads to the restroom and it has a little sign hanging from it. Of course, it's off kilter a little bit. Tells you what you what what horrors await, and it just says toilet toilet. Um, but then additional titles pop up saying the worst toilet in Scotland. Yes, and, and I would I having never been there, I can't attest to the the truth of that, but. I want to say this is probably a, a pretty decent rendering of that. This is the worst toilet in the world, Trevor. I don't think that this is the. I wouldn't. I would walk back out of this bathroom if I walked into it immediately. I'm like, absolutely no. I'm touching nothing in this bathroom. Yeah, this is like what from Beyond or what? No, like the Beyond. I think that's a Lucio Fulci movie where it's like the basement of a home that leads to the bowels of hell. <laughs> I would rather. <laughs> I would rather sit in the that tub that buffalo bill has in his basement with the dead lady in it (laughs) i would rather go there yeah this is the sub basement of hell um it this is awful everything about the production design here like somebody lovingly dressed the set um it's kind of incredible how how nasty this looks apparently uh they uh the practical like they made this toilet look really nasty and shitty apparently they used chocolate and it, it smelled really good (laughs) <laughs> thanks for that detail guy. Yeah. i was actually very curious how the feces were were constructed this is repul- now we know if you folks at home if you have never seen this movie him sitting on the toilet gave me anxiety because there's no lid on this thing and when i say that this is the most disgusting bathroom stall i've ever seen in cinema history and in real life it's the most disgusting thing i've ever seen no see like as soon as he opened the stall and i believe this is the only stall in this restroom uh I was I, I thought about you, Kyle, oh. and uh, I thought that Ewan McGregor, or at least this character Renton, must not be a supple leopard because there there is a way to deliver one's feces in a con- contactless fashion. Oh yes, you, but he did not do that. You're out of your <laughs> mind if you're you're not sitting on this toilet like this. Yeah, you you hover. Yeah. You, you post up and you hover above the bowl. You don't just plop your cheeks into the bowl because there's no there's no seat by the way it's just the bowl <laughs> ari shafir has a funny uh a funny story about taking a shit in china uh so he got off the plane and his buddy handed him uh moist towelettes and he's like you're gonna need these and he's like okay so he spent most of his time like in the city like somewhere in china but then he went out to the country and was like doing you know uh touristy stuff and he got to one of their toilets, and they weren't toilets. It was the squat, the the squatty potties. 
And his trick was, is he took off his shirt, wrapped it around the doorknob, and then hovered over it. I'm like, oh, that's that's a pretty good idea if you're not supple. Yeah. No, that that actually would make a lot of sense. Like, um, my uh, my family when they were in Japan, uh, they said that some of them, not all of them, would have a bar that you could hold on to. Oh, that's sweet. Which, which dealt, which you know serves the same purpose. But yeah, uh, rent Renton. Oof. No, he he just like vacuum seals his ass cheeks into the into the bowl mm-hmm. and delivers you know copious amounts of fecal matter. But uh, but the whole time, like as he was getting ready to do that, I was like, oh, is he gonna like post up and just like bombs away but nope <laughs> that's one way to do it but um there is a problem here though mm-hmm. um, and it's not the fact that his his butt is now covered in other people's shit i don't know if i can hear you uh, talk about it honestly <laughs> you, you, can mute, you can mute me i'm gonna go through the details kyle because we're very thorough on catching up on oh cinema. this is so this nasty. Is how we, this is our reputation it must be upheld Oof. but yes uh, the problem is not the fact that he has other people's feces smeared on his own ass um, and by the way, no paper. No. Uh, and he v- he very quickly pulls up his pants, so he's he's bringing up all sorts of nonsense. Uh, it's caking it's caking up mm-hmm. uh, in his nether regions. But uh, the the logistical problem here is the fact that the suppositories had had yet to be delivered to his bloodstream, mm-hmm. and he's not about to pay good money for good good opium and not you know get the benefits of said opium. So uh, he promptly. Hikes up his drawers, and uh, gets on all fours, and uh, plunges both of his hands into the bowl in search of the suppositories. And uh, his hands alone are not up to the task. He needs his <coughs> eyes and his nose oh, and his ears. He needs all of his senses. He needs to explore the toy, the turtle. <laughs> <laughs> and we get this lovely impressionistic sequence, wherein Ewan McGregor crawls into a toilet, a turlet. And he actually goes all the way down. It's like he's going down a, a, a fucking slip and slide or something. Yeah. This this is cool. Like, it's... Uh, it was an interesting scene so far. Like, nothing like this happens again in the film. This is really kind of out of place. And I've never really seen it in a Danny Boyle film. Like the movies that yes, we've covered. Yes, you have. What? Yes, you have. Where he's... The beach. The video game sequence. Oh, you're right. The video game sequence. Where it's just completely out of place. It didn't happen in 28 yeah. Days Later. It's, it's bonkers. Yeah. Um, but it's fun, uh, and he's like just swimming in this giant tank, and then he finds that like, he swims down and finds the two opiate suppositories, and they're huge. But what does he scream underwater? Like it's it's pretty fun. <laughs> it's a it's a very loud and proud exclamation of joy. But I'll I'll look it up for you. Okay. Um, but uh, what's yeah. kind of neat is a uh, yes, a fucking godsend is what he says. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but what's neat about this, <laughs> this toilet prop is that they, they built it in such a way where it very convincing. It's obviously just like half of a prop super, like pushed forward towards the camera. And then there's probably some, I don't know, barrel that he crawls into. Um, but it very convincingly looks like he straight up went down the drain mm-hmm. and then comes back up like a Super Mario Brother or something. It's pretty great. Um, but yes, a fucking godsend. <laughs> um, yay, I have my butt pills. <laughs> that's pretty disgusting that tells you what his mindset is when it comes to getting his fix Uh, it's pretty nasty Um, but yeah I want to say maybe that's a hallmark of Danny Boyle like like I said I think the only movies of his that I've seen have been because you introduced me to them Uh, I think there may have been a later one that I've seen Um, 
independent of you, but mm. he does seem to like to have these these kind of artistic flourishes. Where this this movie has a few more of them later on. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll, we'll get to them when we get to them. But I believe the next scene is uh, Sick Boy mm-hmm. and Renton, uh, who it is saying that he's basically clean at this moment. Yeah, like like he's pretty much clean. And he actually kind of like, he's kind of butthurt about it because like. I think the way he phrases it, I can't remember precisely, but something along the lines of, like, I actually have to engage with my fellow man, like, in the traditional fashion, and it kind of sucks. <laughs> like, I actually have to talk to people as people. <laughs> it's like, uh, this sucks. I say, he also directed Sunshine, which is pretty fun, and 127 Hours was the other one I've seen. Okay, I haven't seen either of those, but mm. Sunshine has been on my list for a while, because... Uh, I've heard Chris Evans is surprisingly good in it. He's really like it's good. It's one of those it. movies that, like, people who like to defend his acting ability, it's like you might want to check this one out. He's a little different in it. Yeah, uh, I, I would completely agree with that. Um, but yeah, we're in the park. Sick boy is again talking about Sean Connery uh, as James Bond, uh, and they're one person is glassing. They've got uh, binoculars, or no, no, they've got the scope on there. He's got the scope on there. And they're looking around with, with it looks like a twenty two little twenty two rifle, but it's actually a BB gun or at least a, a high powered uh, pellet gun. And they're just kind of going back and forth and uh, drinking a beer in the park, smoking a cigarette. And he finds this dog and he shoots it on the butt. And it's pretty funny. This dog just starts attacking the owner for no reason. <laughs> the owner has no idea why. Yeah, uh, Kyle, do you do you happen to know the breed of this dog? It's um. I know the face. I mean, it's I can't it's think of not the name. important. It's not important. It's just like I think it's because I saw a lot of cartoons when I was a kid that that portrayed this particular breed of dog as being particularly nasty. Like I've always thought of them as being like really aggressive, really nasty little shits. They have like the really squinty eyes and like a really they big have squinty muscle. eyes and their their skull is shaped like a horse's head or something. Yeah, they're they're uh, they're an intimidating dog. Yeah, they're they're small, but they're bulky for their size. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, he does shoot the dog, and it flips out and starts attacking its owner. I did like the coffee talk that goes on between the two of them about Sean Connery. Yeah, and how, I mean it's it's fitting that these are two young Scottish men talking about you know one of Scotland's most famous actors, like in like you know in terms of like mainstream pop culture and whatnot. But they're just like talking about James Bond, and the one of them mentions that uh, his Oscar that he won for The Untouchables mm-hmm. was won via a sympathy vote, and it's like. Yeah, that's yeah. that's pretty true. <laughs> like, like if you've seen the movie, it's like it's not it's not even his best performance. But you know, if you put in enough time in Hollywood, generally they try to give you something. Like, I think that was that, kind of the case that, with James Coburn as well. That movie is basically just bring me back Robert De Niro. Can you just put Robert De Niro back in the film for a little bit longer, please? Get rid of Kevin. Yeah, Costner. <laughs> yeah, Costner. It's it's kind of a shame that he's he's kind of the guy that we're stuck with for the most of that because like any one of the other characters is so much more <laughs> interesting. Any of them, even like even the little guy from yes. Peter Benchley's The Beast, like even the little guy with the glasses and like Andy Garcia. I would totally watch him an Andy Garcia gangster movie from like just him running around fighting the mob. I totally watch that, but yeah, it, it's kind of a shame that that. Costner was the guy like the guy but the the timing of the release I think was kind of the reason for that but um next we get a little bit of insight into the uh what is it the DHS or the uh the unemployment system uh in Scotland (laughs) um so this would come in the form of uh Renton uh prepping Spud on a uh a job interview that I basically the government is 
has set him up with like a job placement agency and so now he's obligated to go on an interview uh and we get to see how this plays out and uh basically even mcgregor is trying to explain to him that it's like the point is you don't want to get the job mm-hmm. you just want to go to the interview as you are obligated to do uh so you need to like have the right the right kind of wrongness to you and of course the best idea to achieve that is to do a little speed <laughs> right yeah. i don't know how much he touches the gums which isn't a lot but it's still i don't know how much he did after that but he is fucking wired and inaudible like you cannot understand a word he is saying in this interview no idea what he's talking about oh it, it's wonderful i love the editing too because it keeps jumping back and forth between close up and far away close up and far away and he's just like shifting in his seat he looks like fucking peewee herman or something <laughs> i can see that <laughs> it's pretty great i like when the lady asks do you have any uh do you have any weaknesses and he's like no <laughs> he just <laughs> nope <laughs> well then he comes right back he's like no no wait i'm a perfectionist <laughs> like everything to be just right it's like yeah like like this interview right <laughs> like this is going swimmingly yeah and he uh he gives the lady a kiss goodbye and uh i don't know what he does to the other to the other guys but suffice it to say he does not get the job oh no he he completely bombs us i think he touches the one guy's head because yeah. he's kind of balding he like yeah. just don't drags his fingers across his chrome dome <laughs> no don't do that, don't do like, that. even to loved ones just, just don't do that uh but then we hit the pub yes and uh begbie uh takes center stage for the first time in the film and uh it's a doozy yeah uh, you want to give us the rundown here Kyle? yeah so begbie apparently was uh they, he had a story to tell them and uh it's it's basically just a, a story about him playing pool and winning and that that that's pretty much the whole story. Uh, but after that, uh, he nearly finishes his beer, and they're up on the second story, like on the balcony, and he just tosses this beer over the side, and it just smashes. And uh, you hear some lady screaming, and he just pulls out his knife, sets it on the table, and walks downstairs. <laughs> and it's fucking great. He just walks up, he's like, Nobody move! We're gonna find out which one of you glassed this poor girl, and no one's leaving until <laughs> we figure it out. And this guy just is like, who the fuck are you? And Begbie just fucking screams, yes! And kicks this dude in the nuts, and we've got a full-blown Donnybrook. While the rest of them are just watching from the second story this fight break out. It's pretty funny. Yeah, their their facial expressions tell the tale, where it's like, this is a common occurrence. Yes. Like, shit, like Begbie starting shit and like having a ball is unfortunately a common thing like in their particular friends group. But... I love the editing here where they do a freeze frame when he pitches his his glass over the balcony. Mm-hmm. And then uh, it needs to be said, this entire movie basically is riddled with narration. It's not a knock on the movie. It's actually very useful, especially mm-hmm. when it comes to my American ears processing the very Scottish uh, soundtrack of like in terms of like the dialogue and whatnot. But the entire movie is narrated by Ewan McGregor. But the movie freezes. It does like a literal freeze frame. Uh, and then we cut away to an episode wherein we we get to see the truth behind that that pool game mm-hmm. uh, that Begbie was talking on and on about. Like he, he makes reference to a hard cunt, mm-hmm. <laughs> a hard cunt <laughs> that that was harassing him or it was threatening to start some shit over the over the pool game. If you uh, um, if you're watching this and you hadn't put the subtitles on yet, this is where you'd have to put them on. Yeah. Um, Robert Carlyle has a pretty thick accent. Um, it's 
pretty wonderful though he really yeah. is the best part of this movie mm-hmm. uh, he's he's a terrifying character but at the same time he has that like devilish charm to him uh and his get up just like his outfits and his f- shitty f- mustache and his <laughs> shitty hair like everything about him feels right like it's like i haven't met this person but now i feel like i have mm-hmm. it's, it's a it's a full fully formed character um and he's a wonderful actor uh but what we learn here, though, is that despite him talking himself up and the fact that he like basically almost got into a like life or death struggle with someone over a pool game that he was winning, no problem, by the way. Um, Tommy, uh, a few days after the fact, told Renton exactly what happened because Tommy has a big mouth and he's you know bored, I guess. <laughs> um, basically, what happened was Tommy was kicking Begbie's ass at pool. Uh, unintentionally, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> I, lo- I love the shot when he's intentionally trying to miss, oh, and yeah. the the ricochet knocks the ball into the yeah. into the basket. It's pretty great. But um, some guy was just like making a bit of noise at the bar, mm-hmm. like w- when Begbie was taking his shot, and just because of it, like he decided to take out his uh loser's rage on oh. on that random bar patron and he nearly killed the guy it's pretty funny because he just like he hears him eating the chips and he just fucking goes over there and smashes him with the, with the pool stick it's pretty funny <laughs> because <laughs> my god with the candlestick <laughs> <laughs> but it's funnier because uh robert carlisle is like 5'8 and he weighs like 145 pounds but he's menacing as this as this character so it's kind of funny at first when you see it happen it's not so funny as the movie goes on yeah no it, it's one of those things where it's like you can tell this guy operates on a hair trigger and he's he's your friend until he's not mm-hmm. and it, it 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 lends a lot of tension to some of the later scenes in the movie again really stellar performance kind of reminds me of like Joe Pesci mm-hmm. and Goodfellas. That's exactly what I was thinking or, was or, Joe Pesci. Or maybe even Casino, but either way, it's Joe Pesci. <laughs> Scottish Joe Pesci. <laughs> I think that Joe Pesci in Casino is a bigger dick. Uh, I think so. I think he's scarier in Goodfellas, but he's a bigger asshole in Casino. He is a piece of like, shit in Casino. Almost everyone's an asshole in Casino. Like That seems to be the thesis of that movie. People suck. <laughs> De Niro's a decent guy in there. He's a tool. He's he's he he likes he's okay when things go his way when when things are not going his way he he lets you know and he won't yeah. let shit go. Uh, yes, <laughs> come with me now, Kyle. Come with me now. Come with me now. Come with thirty times more. Come with me now. Oh yeah, uh, I'm convinced that's Robert De Niro's acting method throughout his entire filmography. Find a phrase to say thirty fucking, fucking times, times, yeah, and, and just keep saying it over and over and over and over again until it loses all meaning. The circle of trust, yeah, that was his uh, meet the meet the parents <laughs> phrase to say over and over again. You talking to me? You talking I to mean, me? Um, even back in the day. But while we're talking to Tommy uh, about what actually happened, uh, uh, Renton is just kind of looking through his tapes, his soccer tapes, and he finds uh, Tommy and his girlfriend's sex tape, and he's like, "Hey, I'm just gonna borrow this soccer tape," uh, but he switched out the tapes. Uh, that's so great Uh, the payoff is even better put a pin in that Uh, i don't know man that 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 really ruined some lives there well that's what's kind of incredible is it's it's seemingly such an innocuous thing and yet it it's basically the biggest fuck up in the movie it is of all the of all the monumental fuck ups in this movie that was the one (laughs) like that was the one that that ruined everything uh, yes, and then we get a, a a night out at the nightclub with the ladies, and uh, Mark 
Obi-Wan Kenobi has the tiniest t-shirt I have ever seen. Yeah, it, it's it's a it's pretty tight. It's a, it's not covering a whole lot. Um, it doesn't exactly seem like it would be the best for moving around, and this is indeed a dance club. Uh, he's not a, he's trying to dance, but he can't find a partner. His loins were frothed by watching his while watching the sex tape. He's just like, oh, I guess I'm horny now because I guess heroin makes you not super horny. So now they're at the nightclub. Uh, there's a funny gag where uh, it looks like the bar from uh, Clockwork Orange. Uh, that they're sitting in, basically. Uh, but it looks like, I think Spud and Tommy are talking about their girls, and the girls are in the uh, bathroom talking about them. Yeah, this whole sequence, uh, until until the morning, basically, is is really wonderful. Mm-hmm. Like, it's it's like a 15, 20-minute stretch of the film. It's a, it's a lovely little short film unto itself. Uh, it's just about, like, young couples and, and the shit that can happen in the course of one night and one morning. <laughs> so, yeah, you're heavy on the shit there. <laughs> <laughs> yes, very very poor choice of words, Trevor. But, um, yeah, uh, basically it's it's boy and girl talk here where our two lads and our two gals are talking about the other party. Um, and I guess what's happening here is uh, Spud is being denied sex. Uh, because there was a Cosmo article or something that his girlfriend uh, read and felt that, you know, uh, if we start things off physically, then that will define things moving forward. So we're not going to do that until I'm good and ready. Uh, so it's been six weeks and they haven't touched each other. And, you know, they're both going nuts. Only problem is she put her foot down. So she's embarrassed to, you know, reel that back. Um, and I don't actually remember what Tommy's grievance was with his gal. Um... I can't remember. Oh, he had. Uh, they were supposed to hang out one night, I think, and he got tickets to Iggy, a ticket to Iggy Pop. Uh, yes, yes, yes. I think she was upset that she didn't get one or something. But anyway, it was her birthday. Oh. It was her birthday, and she, he had to choose between Iggy Pop and doing something with her. And he's like, "But it's Iggy Pop." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but they uh, they kind of meet up, and they're like, "What were you guys talking about? Football? Like, what were you talking about? Shopping? Uh, me, yeah. Me, it's cute. Yeah." It's- uh, yeah. Meanwhile, Mark is on the prowl, and he's just like, "But it's really difficult because I've got the scent of desperation, and just no, no girls are giving him the time of day." Uh, but he eyes uh, Diane, played by Margaret Schroeder, uh, not Margaret Schroeder. Sorry, uh, the actress's name is uh, Kelly McDonald. She played Margaret Schroeder on Boardwalk Empire. Uh, she she's a very frustrating character in that show. Yeah, I I still have yet to see that show, but uh, folks at home, Kyle has been talking it up to me for quite some time. Yeah. Uh, so I, I will have to check that out, especially because I don't think it's very long either. Mm-hmm. So it's not a it's not a huge ask in terms of time commitment. No, but it's mostly drinking and smoking. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Perfect for you. Yeah. Right. No, there's there's a lot to that show. It's it's excellent. Um, well, but, I want to see Michael Shannon because you've been oh, talking him up in that geez. for a long time. Mwah. It's it's great. <laughs> it's where I fell in love with him because he is he is something special on that show. Um, yes, uh, the 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 widow Schroeder. Uh, I I thought she was Irish for the longest time, but she's actually Scottish. Uh, I think she's supposed to be Irish in uh, Boardwalk Empire. But yeah, gotcha. she uh, I guess she was out with a dude, and uh, he just kind of struck out. So he she takes the two drinks that they he got for them, and she just downs them. And Ewan's just like, Doo! that's the one, and he goes and takes chase. Yeah, uh, he pursues her out of the club, and uh, he he's walking alongside her, and the, the lighting here is awesome. Uh, it looks straight out of, like, Dick Tracy or something, because mm. the, 
the club that they're coming out of is is like a vibrant red um but all the ambient lighting around them is blue uh it looks straight out of like a painting or something it's very painterly uh for for this particular moment it, it's interesting because it, it paints this particular moment as like a like a meat cute or something like it has like a romantic like ethereal vibe to it but what's funny though is the juxtaposition between the visuals and the dialogue because mm-hmm. he totally bombs um and she's saying basically everything that he's thinking to say before he can say it so she's like i already have you figured out i have all of you guys figured out um but then things unexpectedly like look up for him uh, in the form of her hailing a taxi and then leaving the door open for him and he's like well i'm not gonna say no to a good thing yeah. so he jumps in there and they start start eating each other's faces <laughs> yes uh we cut to tommy uh barely able to make it into his apartment with his girl uh they're you know sucking face and then uh spud who is hammered drunk like he can barely walk and he's still got two beers and uh, <laughs> i believe uh i believe this actress that's playing his girl you I won't know her yet, but she plays uh, Moaning Myrtle in uh, Harry Potter. Uh, she's a, a ghost character in that movie. Okay, I I haven't seen any of those, so I wouldn't know her from that. But I I th- she looked familiar, so I'm sure I've seen her elsewhere. But um, yeah, what what's really cool here is we're cross cutting between the three parties. Uh, it needs to be said, uh, Sick Boy was uh, slipping a pill mm-hmm. to a girl in the club. So he had two ladies, one on each arm, and uh, he's slipping some, one of them some sort of party drug. So he's he's fine. He's got a whole evening ahead of him. We don't need to see the details of that, and the movie spares us that. Um, and I, I don't know if Begbie was there, but uh, I think he was occupied as well. Yeah, he um, was doing something. Yeah, so the our three parties, though. Uh, we have Tommy and his gal. Uh, they kind of, like, walk backwards into his apartment, and they're, like, rolling over the couch. They do, like, a parkour over the couch (laughs) and they're just like stripping and they're having a grand old time uh and his gal uh wants to watch themselves Mm -hmm. while they bang oh yeah Uh, so he she's like fetch the good old sex tape (laughs) you know that one volume one it's even labeled (laughs) uh so he goes digging for that and meanwhile spud uh like kyle had said he is barely able to remain upright there's a fantastic shot where it's him with two beers one in each hand and his girlfriend pulls away from him and he's like trying to follow her and if not for the neighboring wall he would have he would have if he didn't have something to lean on he would have done a face plant right there in the alley but uh she manages to get him home and he's catatonic mm-hmm. <laughs> like he's doing the undertaker chicken eyes thing yeah. like his eye his irises are rolled up into the back of his head and yet she doesn't seem to notice or care no yeah he is done he is done for the night um, <laughs> but yes so uh you and and uh yeah obi-wan and his girl are getting it on and uh right at about the time that tommy and uh Tommy and his girlfriend figure out that they don't have the tape is when uh, he reaches his climax. But uh, it's a funny, it's a funny bit where he switched it out with uh, I think Archie Jimmel. Like, it's like his this one player's highlights. I have no idea who he is. I'm probably saying the name wrong. Uh, but his girlfriend, uh, Tommy's girlfriend, is melting down at the thought of him accidentally returning the tape back to the video store. Like she is freaking out. And uh, <laughs> right as the guy is shooting the goal. Uh, uh, fucking written says I haven't felt that good since Archie Jimmel scored against Holland in 1978 
It's beautiful comic timing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Obi Wan never told you about his sexual escapades. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, he and uh, uh, Diane. Uh, they they have at it, and he reaches climax. So we do get to see Spud and Renton's junk. Um, Spud's girlfriend does does comment that she puts him to bed. Uh, she leaves him in the bed and like puts his head on the pillow, and she like takes a glance at what he's working with. She's like, eh, not much. <laughs> so she's disappointed, but you know she's still with him, as far as I understand. If you're a, if you consider yourself a cinephile and you haven't seen Ewan McGregor's dick, you're not a cinephile. That's what I've been told yeah like it, it's a common thing like, <laughs> it's like yeah it's just nothing new there's here, two but. more you have to check off uh bruce willis and harvey Keitel. if you can get those two then you're you're good then then yeah you have certified cinephile status mm-hmm. got it um but yeah uh tommy is scrambling to find the tape and yeah she's flipping the fuck out flipping over the fact out. that so so <laughs> some fucker out there is watching us bang uh, but i really loved uh the the timing of when Renton and Diane finish, she like leaps oh, off yeah. of him and she picks up all of her shit. She throws all of his shit at him and she tells him, you have to be quiet. You can't sleep here. You can sleep in the hall or you can go home. Uh, and he opts to sleep in the hall. But I love that he shot in like he's, he's covered in darkness. So he, like it's only his silhouette. But the, him pulling the condom off of himself Mm. it 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 just like punctuates the moment so much where it's like the suddenness of everything that happened it's like he didn't even get to do that he was kicked out of the room that fast that's pretty fast yeah yeah but it it just it's like an exclamation point or a period on that scene uh and then yeah we we do learn a little bit later that he he did actually just opt to curl up on the couch in the hall uh and then we get like the most awkward sequence uh of the film and no it's not what we learn about spud or uh diane it's the thought of having breakfast with uh, the girl you just hooked up with's parents the next morning and they both do it just like well like uh Renton just they're like hey uh you want to come in and he just immediately goes over there and starts making himself toast which i'm like are you out of your fucking mind yeah, uh, that that was pretty shocking. It reminded me of uh, old school a little bit. Uh, <laughs> um, I seem to remember uh, Luke Wilson having a situation. Oh where yes, he learned, yes. Learned his uh, his company for that evening was a little younger than he had expected. Yeah, <laughs> it's not quite as embarrassing as this. Thought you said high school. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, this this morning sequence is fantastic because like he just like walks into a room and he. Oh my God! He says the wrong things. He's like, he assumes someone. He, he pretends to be her friend, and he doesn't know who these people are that are sitting like in the parlor. Uh, and the, he's like, "Are you Diane's flatmates?" And like, and the woman is like, "Oh, uh, that's interesting that you phrase it that way." She's like, "I'll, I'll have, have to, to remember, remember that. that." Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll have to use that one sometimes. I'll have to remember that. Uh, and yeah, uh, spoiler alert, these are her parents. Yes, because she is in high school. Yeah, and the reverse angle of this shot mm. is uh, Diane in her school uniform, which is unmistakably a high school uniform. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, pretty bad. I think Spuds is pretty disgusting. because uh, he Spuds is wonderful. Oh, <laughs> he wakes up, and he, one, is doesn't know where the fuck he's at. <laughs> he wakes up, and he's like looking around like, what the fuck? 
And he looks down, and there is a brown stain that has seeped through the sheets that we can see, but we can only gather by what comes off of his hands when he pulls them out from under the sheets that he is covered in feces. I mean, completely covered down there. Yeah, this is almost like Godfather-like with the the horse's head. (laughs) 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 But, Kyle, does this happen? Uh, when one is severely inebriated, does one shit their pants? Like, just, no, just like this. No, I know of people. I've known uh, people to like wake up the next morning and they've definitely pissed themselves. I had a buddy who, yeah. uh, I one of my first college parties I went to right out of high school. I was on the couch and uh, one of the one of the guys had woken up, and he, he was like, "Hey, Warren." He's like, "Yeah." I pissed the bed again. <laughs> you could hear his girlfriend laughing in the room. I guess, the, but I guess he's like, dude, it happens every time he gets drunk, and he just—it was just something that happened to him. I had another buddy who uh, we made uh, a punch out of Everclear. Now Everclear is pretty much the strongest liquor you can buy uh, in the store. It's crazy strong, uh, and I made this punch, and he was not drinking it with respect, and he definitely pissed the bed—a full-blown blackout and pissed the bed. Ah, the the again on that sentence is very telling. Uh, <laughs> the I did the thing again. I uh, did well, it again. Uh, we had a good laugh at that. Uh, but the but shitting the bed? No, I've never heard of any of my my friends doing that. I've never shit the bed drinking. Yeah, I I didn't quite. I I had a feeling I knew what was going on, but at the same time, I was like, this is unexpected. But um, yeah, it doesn't help that the breakfast that these people are eating is awful looking Traditional. like it's it's comprised of good things but from a visual standpoint it is massively unappealing i don't get baked beans i do i don't get it like i don't like them i've tried liking them i don't like them and i don't understand baked beans with a traditional english breakfast i don't get it it just doesn't make sense yeah i i i don't need baked beans with my breakfast ever no, thank you that that's that's like a barbecue thing at only basically like if i'm not eating ribs i don't want baked beans uh, especially not in the fucking morning i don't need i don't need that much well, fiber do you remember in uh sid and nancy at the beginning when you meet sid and johnny rotten like they're fucking hammered in the daytime and they're just like slopping up beans i'm like that's fucking disgusting well i will say this much the uh the restaurant from uh green street hooligans with the the mm, pea mush mm-hmm I, I think that's worse looking than this, but this is still pretty bad. I think that was supposed to be an Indian restaurant. I hope so, but even <laughs> even so, I, I, you know those that particular color combination and that consistency, it's it's not it's that's not funny. appealing. You like you have this mushy green mess, and like oh, is this Indian food? You're about to take a bite? Like no, it's British. You're like okay, <laughs> what is it? It's not spinach. Then what the fuck is it? <laughs> Nope, not eating that. I actually just made sog a couple of days ago. Yeah, it's no wonder they flipped that fucking place toward the shreds. <laughs> like, what the fuck are you serving these <laughs> No shit. Uh, but yeah, Spud comes out, and uh, I was under the impression that uh, his gal's parents knew him. Mm-hmm. So they'd probably met him before, because they're, like, very welcoming and stuff. And uh, we have a, uh, a situation, though, on uh, the form of his sheets, which we only caught a glimpse of in the form of uh, him reaching down to the... Uh, afflicted area and uh bringing his his hand up to his face and so we we know what evil lies beneath (laughs) uh yeah so i actually think that i thought it just worked for horror movies uh not seeing 
is much is so much better. Like it just leaves more to the imagination. This works for poop too because I don't I don't even need to see it. It's still fucking disgusting. I saw the stain just a little bit like seeping through the sheet, and that was enough for me to start gagging. Uh, visually, <laughs> it was like. Uh, yeah, for for comedy especially, like case in point, uh, Dumb and Dumber. Mm. I, I don't think we saw Jeff Daniels's massive dump, uh, but the sound effects and the physical acting, you know, it's it sold it. We mm. we knew what we were dealing with. We didn't actually have to see what what evil was <laughs> came out of his anus. But um, yeah, we have a situation here in the form of uh, his gal, uh, his gal's mom rather, uh, trying to be a polite hostess, and uh, seeing that he has his sheets uh, from his bed, like wrapped up in his hands and he's like oh i'll do the laundry and she's like no no i insist i'll i'll do the laundry it's my home i'll take care of you and uh they they kind of get in a little bit of a grappling match here over mm. the sheets and uh long story short uh the package is unraveled oh. uh, it's swung across the entire dining area and the entire the entire room is painted a la uh, dumb and dumber uh the only funny scene in that movie being uh the two times in which bob saget yells about shit on the walls bob second <laughs> i didn't get past the first five minutes of that movie so i didn't good for you kyle good for you i shut that <laughs> off faster than i shut off the jay and silent bob reboot which is oh yeah i i didn't bother with that because of what you told me about it um kyle kyle had told me a long time ago that he was actually kind of jazzed about it yeah. i remember you were kind of excited to check it out yeah and uh, you put it on and you just couldn't do it well because i was pleasantly surprised by Jer- Jer- uh, jersey girl I just happened to watch it with Steph one night, and it's a delightful film, uh, Ben Affleck being a single dad. And I'm like, you know what? I trust Kevin Smith. Zach and Mary make a porno. was fucking great. I bet he still got it. And my God, that fucking <laughs> He does not. <laughs> no. but uh, he's, a, he's a decent podcaster, mm. and, and I think he's a, a pleasant personality to have in Hollywood, especially for nerdy folks. Mm-hmm. Like he, He's a good... He's good at relaying like news to to the masses and whatnot, but for my money, he's he's too enthusiastic for his own good. Like that man loves everything. Batman versus Superman came out, and it's like I know your friend Ben Affleck is in it, mm. but he, he was like talking it up like it's oh it's fantastic, and like he loves everything such that when it comes to critical opinions on things, it's like I <laughs> I don't trust you. If you Mr. Were, Smith. if you were gonna be an, like an extra in a Scott Atkins movie or just like in a Scott Atkins movie, I would say this Scott Atkins movie is the best one. Like this is gonna be fantastic because you were in it. I probably wouldn't watch it, but. <laughs> <laughs> no, of course you wouldn't watch it. You're not, you're not that kind of friend. You have standards. But oh, speaking of Scott Atkins, uh, the movie that I couldn't remember the name of, the one, the one with Cosmo in it, uh, is called Eliminators, uh, and it's not half bad. It's actually a pretty good one. I was gonna say, uh, but one quick thing about Kevin Smith. Apparently, a couple weeks ago, he was, uh, he and Jason Mewes were in a, a dispensary in Seattle, and someone got a nice uh, picture with them. They were super cool about it. Like fucking a, see. Oh wow! Yeah, that would have been kind of cool. I know. I'm like, I, I could, I could start going to the dispensaries. <laughs> they might pop no, up. I, I mean, yeah, I, I wouldn't like bother them or anything, but it would just be kind of cool to see them out in the wild. Mm. And just be like, what the fuck are they doing out here, <laughs> Trevor? That I'm like, because it's Kevin Smith. I'm like, I would absolutely ask for a picture. I'm like, you were a big part. Oh, of... Oh, he would give it to you. You were a huge you. part of my adolescence, and this is never going to happen again. So, gear up, buddy. I'm going to need a picture. Yeah. <laughs> and he, you know it's, it's hey thanks man and that would be it yeah, yeah pretty much <laughs> but yeah no he would totally give it to you love mall rats bitch uh, 
I loved you in Wall Street. It's <laughs> one of my favorite bits from uh, Hot Shots Part 2. I loved your Vietnam movie. Um. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we go out, uh, we take a train ride um, to just like the Highlands yeah. or something. This, this is a completely pointless endeavor such that I'm not going to dwell on it. But basically, uh, Tommy didn't get to get his rocks off, so he's he's in a mood apparently and he wants to drag his mates along so they go out into the into nature yeah which is not where any of these men belong tommy <laughs> maybe he, he seems maybe. he's the athletic type like he seems like he would go do this kind of thing the other three uh-uh no they do not belong here such that they actually stop they put yeah. their feet down and they're like tommy this is bullshit we're not we're not doing that they're drink. they're yeah. day drinking they've got beer and a and like a fucking pint of liquor like We've, we're doing other things today, and it's not hiking. Yeah, and uh, Renton actually uh, has a whole diatribe about um, Scots being the lowest of the low. It's fucking uh, being, shite they being Scottish. Con- <laughs> <laughs> it's fucking shite being Scottish. And uh, they were conquered by wankers, oh. <laughs> which which makes them even worse than said wankers. So I was, I was talking to Steph. I'm like, do you want to watch this with me, train spotting? I'm like, I'm pretty sure you've seen it. She's like, I don't think I've seen it. So I'm like, I tried to find a trailer, but I found uh, that scene where you're introduced to Begbie. I'm like, oh, you, you would remember this. And we're watching it, and she's like, is he speaking the same language as us? I'm like, yeah, he's speaking English. And I have, no, she's like, I have no idea what he just said. I'm like, well, maybe you didn't see this. I didn't make her watch it, but she definitely uh, saw me watching it today for a little bit. Gotcha. Well, she she may have found something to enjoy in this movie. I, I think it has an energy to it that's something for everyone. Mm-hmm. Kind of. um, the subject matter it gets very dark at times, but it kind of convinces you to forget about that, uh, such that it it makes for an enjoyable experience on the whole, uh, despite some of the the heaviness of it. But uh, speaking of heaviness, uh, we do get to see Renton steal from his parents, mm-hmm. and uh, we do see that part of uh, financing one's habit involves basically being a shit heel and selling all of your belongings and stealing from people on the regular um and what what's kind of interesting here is that uh remember the videotape the videotape um tommy remember was one of the folks that was sober uh begby drinks like a fish but um tommy does not partake of heroin and what happens here is that his girlfriend dumps him because he lost the videotape and she was paranoid about it, which leads to him asking Renton to try heroin. And it just so happens that Rent is so strung out in this moment that he's probably not thinking very clearly. And all it takes is Tommy to flash a few bills in front of his face uh, to convince him to give him, you know, this awful drug. Um, So you really can reason that, the the switching of the videotapes is the catalyst for basically the downfall of of this circle of friends in a lot of ways. This is an interesting group of friends because three it's like five of them. Begbie's kind of a wild card, but like Tommy's just kind of friends with three uh, heroin addicts, and and you've got Begbie. It's I was thinking like I didn't have any just casual friends that did heroin. Like it just wasn't somebody I hung out with. Did you? <laughs> No, absolutely not. Yeah. I mean, I, I, as far as I know, I didn't have friends who were into anything harder than pot. Um, I know there were some people on the periphery who were doing some really shady stuff, mm-hmm. but there's a reason they were on the periphery. Flat, because uh, I, I knew, flat build hats. I, I knew flat build, flat build hats and uh, windbreakers. Uh, not nothing along those lines. Okay. But it was the kind of thing where it's like, uh, 
there there'd be separations in the group where it's like hey everybody's doing a thing and then those guys go do a different thing there's and then they come back later in the evening <laughs> there's a specific uh washington shit bag and there it's the fucking flat build hat with the sticker off they take the sticker off uh it's generally a mariner's hat and then uh a fucking shitty windbreaker uh yeah i've I seen them yeah uh they're they're it's not a good look, such that no. I just don't fraternize with with those types. Yeah. <laughs> I, I can see it from a mile away. Um, so we did learn that Mother Superior got his name because he had been doing heroin for so long. Like he had been in the heroin game for a really long time. And during this montage of them stealing stuff, he steals from his parents. Um, we see uh, Mother Superior getting uh, his injection, which is the only time we see him doing heroin in the movie. Uh, Basically, he's shooting it into the eye of his penis. Because uh, I, I, Steph was asking me because she did see that part. She's like, "Why is he doing it there?" I'm like, "I think either there's maybe so much scarring around his veins that it might be hard to find a vein at this point, or it just gets you higher weight quicker." From what I understand. Yeah, either one of those explanations makes sense to me on some level. I, obviously, I don't know, but um, yeah, uh, we do get to see that, and I think I think you're right. It is probably the only time we actually see him shoot up in the whole movie um despite him dealing to everybody but um yeah uh we get an episode here where everybody's stealing from everybody essentially mm-hmm. uh including old folks yeah steal their get tv this, this <laughs> the, them stealing the tv is actually kind of funny because nobody says anything mm-hmm. like nobody even gets up it's just like they just let it happen but it's like what are you gonna do um and we also get a, a sequence wherein uh begbie assaults an american mm-hmm. in a in a turlet uh <laughs> so um the person stands out like a sore thumb because they're covered in like usa uh garb see I, and their their voice too i didn't think that this was even part of the robbery i thought they were just at a pub and he heard somebody with an american accent he's just like oh no like he was just gonna go beat their ass that that's actually what what it is i'm pretty sure because the timing of it is that the guy slips behind them when they're at the bar and he says like excuse me sir can i use your toilet and then he just like he just gets up immediately, mm-hmm. like oh hell no, nah. <laughs> like not not in my town. See, I think he knew it was a he knew it was a tourist, so he was just like they yes. definitely got cash on him. Um, yeah, and there, there's an on screen title saying there's a festival going on mm-hmm. too, so it's definitely a tourist. They were fishing. It's a fanny fanny pack full of you know recently changed bills. He looks like a substitute teacher that would quit because he was bullied too much by the students. So this was low hanging fruit. <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, but they, they rob him, and I, I was mentioning this before. Like, there's kind of a, an interesting Begbie moment. As as awful as he is, as as a friend, he does have like this one moment where he. I think that they reached out to him to rob somebody so that they could get money, and he gives them each their cut, and he gives it to uh, rents, and he's like, "Now that's for your rent, like that's for your that's like a rent money, not for junk." And of course, that's not what he spends it on. But uh, it, was, it was a nice little friend moment. Like, you feel like he kind of cares about him a little bit. Yeah, he's not a complete shit heel. Like, he's loyal to who he's loyal to. Yeah. Only problem is that only goes so far. Yeah. Like, like, like um, but yeah, in this moment, he's he's like a member of the group, and he's honor he's an honorable thief in this moment. He is even more ornery in the second one. Uh, he's even more scary. Yeah. Okay, well, even more incentive to check that one out for me anyway. Mm. But uh, our next scene is real intense. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, and it's prefaced with uh, some lovely set design and cinematography here where it's uh, Allison 
is the gal who uh, Sick Boy was uh, injecting in the very beginning of the movie. Uh, she's just a constant presence in uh, Mother Superior's domain. Um, and she is howling like a banshee. This is like Tony uh, Collette in uh, in Hereditary. It's like, it chills you. Oof. I'm, I'm actually getting chills yeah. now. Fuck. Oof. And the, uh, the, the paint on the walls and the lighting here, it almost looks like they lit this, this corner of the building with, like, bug zappers. Mm-hmm. Um, and it has like almost like a, like a Batman Forever. Remember the Neon Gangsters vibe? Yes. <laughs> like, Who um, the hell are and you? Yeah, the can- yeah. <laughs> Don the Dragon Wilson. Uh, <laughs> um, and the camera's kind of gliding through the whole building, and we actually get to see the scale of it. It's a lot bigger than you would expect. And there's uh, part of the reason for that is that there's like a whole wall missing that's been knocked down, but. Uh, she's howling at the top of her lungs, and the narration from Ewan McGregor is telling us that she could have been doing this for a week, and we we probably wouldn't have noticed because we were all so fucking high. Um, and uh, long story short, uh, that unfortunate baby that we that the movie was keen to show us from time to time, just crawling around while everybody's getting high, uh, has died in its cri- in its crib, mm. um, and has and been dead for a while, it, and has been dead for a while. Um, and the camera is not shy about getting up in this dead baby and uh, just like panning across the entirety of its body. Uh, yeah, it, it's pretty gruesome. It, uh, this is a dead baby movie. And his narration is like, what do you say? Like, and like how do you deal with this? And uh, Sick Boy starts yelling at him. He's like, like, say something. He's just like, I'm going to go have another hit. And he, uh, Ewan McGregor is giving like some narrations like, it wasn't my baby. It definitely wasn't my baby. It could have been Spuds. Could have been Sick Boys. It could have been any of these guys. But they've kind of pinpoint that it was it was Sick Boy's baby. Um, and it, this interesting little thing here, where uh, he's about to cook up a shot, and the the mom is like still on the ground, like just screaming and heaving. And when she sees that Mark's about to cook up another shot, and she just stops and just kind of goes over there, like, "Cook me up one too," and it's just like out of sight, out of mind again. Like, she's just out of it again. Like I said, an, an escape. Because, uh, yeah, immediately she stops crying, she stops howling, and she sees what he's doing, and it's just like, oh, I need one too. Uh, so that that's their solution here. Uh, nobody makes a move to touch the baby or do anything. Like, um, but, yeah, I, I really liked how we learn uh, that Sick Boy was the father. Because, like, the way even McGregor's narration phrases it, it's like, there's a good chance a lot of these guys have slept with Allison, um, but nobody bothered to actually get to get to figure out who who actually was the father. Um, but yeah, it's pretty intense, and uh, I believe this is where the movie catches up to its opening. Yes, uh, where we're running away from a shoplifting uh, incident, and a sick boy hides, and Spud and Rent uh, are are still running away from like security or the police. And uh, there's a moment that was in the opening sequence of the film where uh, Rent almost gets hit by a car, and he just stops for a minute to look the driver dead in the eyes and just laugh at them because you can tell he's high out of his mind and he just had a big sprint. He, he almost died, basically, and he's just, like, laughing at this situation. And then, of course, we cut away from that in the form of uh, a policeman tackling him, <laughs> like, spearing him good uh, into the ground. And then we go to court, um, and what plays out here is that uh, Spud is given, I think six months yeah. in jail. Yeah. Six months for shoplifting and uh, Renton is uh, entered himself into a rehab facility. Yeah. Uh, so he lucked out. He gets to 
remain uh like living under his own rules uh provided he you know go to clinics and continue with the program uh and then we all kind of celebrate by going out to the pub with the family mind you um and then there's this really embarrassing moment where everybody's having a grand old time you know throwing back beers and stuff and then spud's mom shows up Mm. and it's like Oh, I'm sorry. Your son didn't didn't get you know a free ride too. Like that's unfortunate. Yeah, Begby has words for it. He's like, "Your son's a fucking junkhead. That's your fault. That's your problem." And kind of, it's kind of mean. But uh, I get. Yeah, it's pretty rough. <laughs> yeah, and uh, we learned through narration that Rent uh, gets three doses of methadone a day. Yeah. Um, that's part of his program, and it's not doing the job for him. So he extricates himself from the situation and uh, uh him uh crawling up on top of the wall and doing a swan dive off of it's kind of cool mm-hmm. like the transition from that to him uh in mother superior's place is pretty great i i, I like the way this plays out uh, the way he goes into mother superior's uh so he just goes in and uh he's treating it like uh he's he's like starts to take off his jacket and mother superior comes up and starts taking his jacket off of him he's like would you would you be uh partaking in uh any hors d'oeuvres today he's like no just the main course and he's like do you have payment and he's like put it on my tab he's like ah but your credit is actually run up and ah fresh cash like it's a, it's a nice little exchange between the two it's fun um i you know i like to i have to hand it to mother superior like he's the facilitator it seems like he's either a dealer or he is like a, a solid middleman that just has quite a bit of heroin and he just you know just nickel and dimes it to these guys but it seems like a great place to hang out like he's a really he's a nice host like he's he's very professional yeah he he seems like a nice dealer as opposed to those those ones in some other movies that are absolutely terrifying <laughs> i used to have to buy i used to have to buy weed in high school from dudes that sold more than weed because those are the only dudes that had weed before i grew up so <laughs> buying weed was always like just anxiety the whole time Ah, oh, fuck! I can't remember what movie it was, but uh, there there's a really intense scene. Um, I I think we did it for catching up on cinema. I it involved one of those types of dealers uh, coming to the house, and it was like, whoa, <laughs> like this this could go real bad real fast, dude. I just wanted to fucking smoke some weed, eat Taco Bell, and laugh at a fucking stupid movie. I don't need to ruin my life, okay? Those, <laughs> oh god, I can't wait till they just make it all recreational keep high school kids safe again uh but yeah the transitions here uh it needs to be said this movie is really well edited and there's some really impressive moments here and there uh not all the time thankfully it's it's not that kind of movie but um like i said he the way we jump to mother superior's place is he literally like jumps off of a very high wall and then the next cut is him like doing a spider-man landing Mm -hmm. in the middle of the room in mother superior's place um, and then when he shoots up, uh, oh my god, this is a really cool, mm-hmm. very simple trick, but so cool. He lays back onto this red carpet, and then he literally sinks into the floor. And it's done practically with, like, literally a trap door, like, just like a, an elevator, a platform that descends into the ground. Um, but it, it fits the mood so well. Um, and it also creates this really cool visual motif where he ODs in the sequence. Um, and Mother Superior pretty much knows what to do, um, which involves dragging him out, like down the stairs and out to the street, and calling not an ambulance, which the key, the movie is keen to point out mm-hmm. to us, is ne- is nearby. 
instead of an ambulance, we're going to call a cab, which is going to drive you to the hospital. Yeah. Um, and we're going to stick a few dollar bills in your breast pocket for the cabbie. People, <laughs> people in America do that, but for completely different reasons. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, the the visual motif that I'm talking about here is that while he's while he's overdosed, um, we keep getting these shots from his perspective, and the frame is obscured by the red carpet, like it's a it's it's pillared, so it takes our like 16 by 9 image and turns it into like a four by three in the form of like this fuzzy red carpet, kind of obscuring bits of his vision, so it's, it's like a I don't know, a visual indicator that he's still in the depths of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not until he's resuscitated that the camera literally rises up from his POV up through the carpeting, and then he returns back to reality in Ernst. Uh, it's pretty It's pretty cool filmmaking. And uh, yeah, when he wakes up, uh looks like even though he was dying, he probably had a great time doing it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then his uh, parents pick him up, and we get a really really interesting sequence in the film uh when they (laughs) big papa cosmo uh literally carries him into his childhood bedroom and the the decoration in this room is very befitting like a childhood bedroom where it's like there's train wallpaper everywhere um but this sequence is where his parents are basically forcing him to go cold turkey um and they lock him into his own bedroom and kyle do you want to like walk us through some of the episodes that unfold here because this is a pretty long but really incredible sequence yeah we get uh, a few things um we kind of get some foreshadowing we get uh his parents on a game show talking uh answering questions about hiv which is it's kind of strange i'm wondering if it was like his parents were talking to him about hiv because that's coming up uh shortly um we get a shot of tommy looking just grim i don't think we've seen him since he tried heroin the first time like he's just been out of the out of the film since then he's been present but he hasn't said a fucking word okay he's just there he was just kind of in the background um he's he's there and he looks pretty just zoned out he looks awful here uh i do like this little shot of uh so ewan mcgregor's just like on the on the bed kind of writhing back and forth and just saying nonsense and uh there's a moment he goes under the sheets and Begbie's under there smoking a cigarette. And I can't remember what he says to him. Um, but I, I don't know. I just like him. It was just a cool shot of him under the uh, bed sheet with him. And there's an incredible edit in that moment, too. Um, because there, there's a cut where we're under the sheets with Ian McGregor. And then a, a segment of the sheet pulls up and we see Begbie's smiling fucking face. And I think he's smoking, too. He is. He's smoking. <laughs> like, under the sheets with him. Um, but then when he when he like rolls away from him there's a seamless cut there where the camera rises up out of the sheets and the bedroom looks as normal like basically it's a magic trick there's there's no way you could have done that like physically without a cut um, but it's totally seamless like I, I defy you to try to find the the seam there and the room starts taking different lengths like different shapes where it seems like it's super long or then there's a, a shot when his parents come back in and his dad can barely fit through the door and the room's really small and it different shots of him sweating through the sheets and um we get his parents talking to him but then we get the baby is crawling upside down the baby that had died is crawling upside down on the ceiling coming for him and I think that's like the the scariest moment for him when he really starts to scream. Yeah, no, the baby is is something that it's a recurring element that it just keeps coming back and back and back and back. 
Um, and it's just very slowly crawling towards him. It's this animatronic baby that's hanging from the ceiling. You can actually see the track cut into the ceiling where, where they hung it from. It's like, God damn it, we made a, a dead baby prop. We're going to use it for all it's worth. Um, but yeah, the, the crawling baby kind of represents like the the length and the breadth and the climax of the sequence where it's like, you know, as soon as the baby gets to him, that's when we're going to hit the peak of things. Mm-hmm. But uh, some of the other stuff that unfolds here is uh, there's a, a game show, like a, a trivia show that his parents are on. And what's interesting is that all the questions have to do with HIV and AIDS, um, which when we see Tommy very shortly after that, and he's pockmarked and not look like his his complexion and his demeanor kind of spell it out to us. That's like, oh, that's why he's thinking of these things. Mm-hmm. Um and then we also get to see Sick Boy kind of taunting him. And we also, Diane shows up singing a song that she was singing in the shower um, in the morning when he, w- like, stayed the night at her place. Um, and, yeah, we see Spud with uh, ankle chains, like, sitting on top of his dresser, just, like, looking down at him like a fucking monster. Uh, it's pretty intimidating. And, yeah, Tommy Tommy really stands out as, like, a haunting image in the sequence. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the the baby gets gets to the point where it's hanging over his head, and its head does a whole you do a whole three sixty on me, <laughs> <laughs> one eighty, <laughs> uh, and uh, it, its head spins around like Exorcist style, and it it pounces on him from the ceiling, and he starts screaming. screaming. Yeah, there's two really good screaming fits that uh, the mom and him screaming in the bed. So good. Um, this came out a few years before the Phantom Menace, but I'm sure they were doing casting for this in like ninety, late '97, probably. Uh, so he was probably still working on other stuff because that movie came out in '99. But I'm just wondering, like, how, how? I mean, he's a good actor. Just, just the body of work that he had put out, and then oh, he gets to Obi Wan from there. It's just kind of interesting how that that played out. Uh, I want to say George Lucas when it comes to casting it a lot of it's just kind of looks based like i mean look at hayden christensen Ugh. i think he just he looked at him and he saw like james dean or something he was like yeah i like i like hot rod movies and that james dean guy he did he see did that. some movies with hot rods like this kid kind of looks like him we should we should cast him he mm. seems like he's got a bright future in, in the film industry a bright future uh doing direct-to-video movies with nicholas cage in china 20 years after this. yeah right <laughs> um, uh, but um yeah the screaming fit I, I i agree with you hereditary tony collette very good screaming fit this one ewan mcgregor train spotting very good screaming fit i don't know man i think mike shank still takes the he still takes the cake man um american movie oh um you remember that mm. when when he's asked to scream in the recording booth i don't remember him screaming I'll have to find a clip for you uh, because that is maybe the most primal scream I have ever heard in cinema. I would like to hear what's the guy's name, the the director of American Movie, Mark Borchart. Mark, I I could hear him with his dumb accent saying the opening monologue of this movie. Yeah, man, I'm not gonna <laughs> fucking do that shit, man. Uh, no. <laughs> choose life, choose a jab, yeah. choose a career. 
choose a family dude choose a fucking fucking big television that that is a man <laughs> choose who, your future man <laughs> that was a man who really felt the economic impact of rental stores closing because he was fit for one job and one job only movie store oh, guy. I kick fucking ass i got a mastercard he's <laughs> <laughs> He, yeah, he's like uh, a less perverted Dante from uh, Clerks. Like he's just that's where he needs to be. Is just in there, talking about yeah, movies. And last Mark Borchardt quote. I'm pretty sure after the Mike Shank scream, his response was, "That's fucking wicked, man." Oh. <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, Primal scream uh, when the baby descends on him, and then his parents wake him up, and Daddy Cosmo tells him, "You have something to do." Uh, and I didn't piece this together until the movie made it explicit. I, I wasn't entirely sure what was happening here. Um, but he is sent to a clinic and he gets uh, pricked. He gets a jab from a nurse. Mm-hmm. And it's not its not an injection. I think it's an extraction. Yeah, blood sample. Um, exactly. I didn't know what for uh, until it was explicitly laid out to me. So I don't know if that's ignorance on my part, but I... I I, th- I didn't remain ignorant. I figured it out. So we get we get shots of his parents in the room with him occasionally, and we're not really sure what they're saying at some points. And I think what they were saying was, is your buddy Tommy has HIV, so you're going to have to get tested. That's why all this was happening. And that's when yeah. it comes to claim. I do like uh, where the nurse is going to do the uh, take the blood, and she like puts it in there. He's like, ow. Like, she's a nurse. She doesn't know how to do it. <laughs> do it yeah. as well as he does. <laughs> I, I, yeah, actually, that, that's a good point. But, um we do go to Tommy's house afterwards, though, and uh, his place has been graffitied, like, uh, some nasty stuff and about AIDS, and, like, it looks like there's shit on his walls, too. Yeah. Um, and Rent goes in there, and uh, we have been in Tommy's place previous, uh, when, when he was clean. And uh, now that he is on junk uh, and has HIV, um, holy fucking shit, uh, this, this place is just rotted to hell yeah like, like th- this this is on on par with the turlet from earlier in the movie um so like like i said this movie does a very good job of kind of expressing through the environments and through the production design like the general state of being like the the health of its characters I, and tommy is not in a good way right now i think he might have gotten it from mother superior i think it might have been passed because uh once they go to spoiler alert tommy's funeral they're back at Mother Superior's when they're having that meeting, and Mother Superior's yeah. not there. So not there. Yeah. I'm wondering if he also passed away. Maybe that's where he got it from. I don't know if they passed away, but um, I mean, it seems logical that it was caused by sharing needles or something. I mean, yeah, that's that's yeah, pretty pretty clear. Yeah, um, pretty clear. But yeah, I did like him uh, at his parents' bingo night, like. Uh, his parents like he's just sitting like just miserable his parents are just like pounding beers and i guess they won the bingo so they got all the money but um it was just a little scene i just like him in misery there it's a really cool scene and uh i don't know how long ewan mcgregor had to sit still like that but it like the way that sequence is filmed um basically it's this this long like reverse zoom so like the camera's pulling back on like a dolly track away from ewan mcgregor who just looks bummed out and bored playing bingo and he actually wins like he mm-hmm. wins big and funny enough that seems to be part of the rhythm of of this narrative mm-hmm. is that there's a lot of peaks and valleys um and yet nobody seems to get anywhere mm-hmm. <laughs> like, like it's it's very bipolar in that it's like hey we won big and then spoiler alert later on we also win big 
um, but it doesn't seem like anybody learned anything from it or grew from it. Um, so it seems like we, we bounce up and down a lot and we don't really hang out in the middle too, too long. But um, yeah, the, the shot that I'm talking about, basically we were pulling away from him and the whole room is abuzz with activity because they just won big bingo and they're all getting each other drinks and stuff. And it's filmed, it's like, it's almost like a time lapse. Like everything, everybody's moving quickly around him and he's completely still. So knowing that he must have been sitting there for like 20 minutes, 20, 30 minutes or something while the camera was pulling back and everybody else was playing the scene out. So it's like, yeah. like what what happens if he had to sneeze or something? They'd have to redo the whole thing. Redo the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, this, this uh, sequence with Tommy is very sad. Like all Tommy seems interested in is like just existing and getting his next fix. And um, there's a moment where Rent actually he, he, Rent is asked for some money and he doesn't think twice about. It. He's just like here, here's some money, and they like just kind of smile at each other. Mm-hmm. It's like they they both know what's going on, but they're they're buddies, so you know that that's just going to be how it's going to be. There's a there's a line that comes up a few times. Uh, he's a mate, so what you got? What are you going to do? Yeah, that seems to be the general philosophy among them. But um, Diane dips back into the picture, um, and <laughs> like funny enough, she seems to be wise beyond her years mm-hmm. because she 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 always seems to be one step ahead of Rent. Uh, she they're like laying in bed together, uh, smoking pot together, and she's like telling him, "You need to move on to like the next stage of your life. You're like you're you're sitting still. Nothing's meant to sit still. Like music changes, drugs change. Like you're no longer doing heroin now. You're smoking pot." Um, and she encourages him to, you know, try, <laughs> like, like strive. Um, and then we get this weird montage showing, like, I think it's supposed to be London or at least just England. Yeah, it's London. And it's like, it's like a showy, like, come to California, yeah. like montage, like, like showing all the cool parts of London. Yeah. And he's just working at, like as a real estate agent, just showing the same shitty apartment. Yeah, yeah, it it doesn't look great, but he he does mention that he's he's thriving, like he's doing very well at this new gig, and he's wearing a suit, he's cleaned up, uh, he still has his same haircut and his earring though, um, but it's interesting the jargon, like there's a bit where he uh, he says like oh I, I like the the feel of what I do and like the the jargon that comes with it, and he like rattles off all the all the terms like all the terminology you use in real estate, and it's almost identical to him listing off all the drugs and substances mm-hmm. that he was abusing and stealing. It's, it's like he, tra- he transferred from one to the other. He needed and he, the, the language mirrors it. It's really clever. He needed a hustle. He needed a mental hustle. He needed to be busy. And I guess, yeah. yeah, I don't know what the job opportunities were, where they were at. I'm not sure. It was just supposed to be somewhere in Scotland. I'm not sure where they were supposed to be based out of. Um, but yes, Diane wrote him a letter, and she's just kind of filling him in what's happening. Uh, she tells him about Sick Boy. He's, uh, I guess he tried to, he's a pimp now, and a drug pusher, and he tried to get her to come work for him. She told him to fuck off. Um, she said, I saw Spud, and <laughs> Spud, I guess, was out of uh, jail, and he was just using the curb as a pillow, and just drunk, just belligerently drunk, saying things. He's like, he, he said hi, I think, I'm not really sure. Um, and then Beg or Francis Begbie has actually been in the newspaper recently because he's wanted for robbing a, a jewelry store. And right about t- at the time that he reads this, finishes this letter, you hear a knock on the door, and then he flips it back over and it says Francis or just or Begbie. It just says Begbie. <laughs> it's a cool little edit, uh, but yes, 
Begbie is in town. Yeah. Um, he he robbed a jewelry store, he says, with a fake gun. Yeah. Uh, so he feels How's it exonerated. Armed robbery? <laughs> He's like, how is this armed robbery? It's a fake gun. Like, <laughs> I'm not armed. <laughs> it's not the point. I did, I did like uh, Diane says, I'm not pregnant. Thanks for asking. Yes. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> but um, yeah, uh, when Begbie enters the room, like we don't even see him come in. It's kind of an awesome cut where it's just him standing on top of the bed mm. while while rent is looking up at him from laying down and yeah he's just waving this fake gun around and he has a bunch of fake jewelry that i guess the arms robbery wasn't even worth it and uh yeah francis has come to live with rent rent free mm. <laughs> and he he makes a shit heel of himself immediately <laughs> he he turns into a 50s husband like immediately he's just like uh, he's like, I'm out of fucking cigarettes, and he just like tosses the uh, empty pack outside the door. At one point, there were like a hundred empty boxes of cigarettes. Um, yeah, he's basically just a, a, a stay-at-home husband, uh, just drinking beer, watching TV. Uh, he hasn't put money on the horse race at one point. I'm convinced if Begbie exists in any environment for like two weeks or more, he converts it to a Terry Gilliam set. Yeah, <laughs> I can like, see that. Like, like he brings mold with him. He brings clutter. Yeah. <laughs> he spits on the. He spits whenever he feels like it. He breaks every glass he drinks from. Yeah, he, he is. He is just a mobile mess. Yeah, I don't know what he does for a living. I, I he. It doesn't seem like he does a lot of crime. But he's not opposed to it for sure. But like, I don't know what his job is. See, he's too honest for it, but it makes me think of uh, Tom Petty's character from King of the Hill. Uh, T- Tom Petty actually had a recurring role on King of the Hill as a character named Lucky, and his story was that he uh, he was an insurance grifter, uh, so he like slipped on some pee on the ground in a Walmart or something mm. and broke his hip and was living off of the insurance pay. <laughs> gotcha. Begbie's Be- Be- too honest for that, but I'm sure there's at least some sort of grift going on. Uh, it, we do learn in this sequence that uh, betting is something that he's pretty passionate about. Uh, so I, I don't think his income comes through traditional means, no. is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, it's kind of amazing when he moves in, because this was the part of the movie where I was starting to get confused where we were going, and then he shows up and it's like, oh, yeah. you, you thought you were out? Uh-uh. Well, guess what? <laughs> Scotland's coming to you. Dude, he found him no trouble. Uh, he, no trouble. No trouble. <laughs> um, but yeah, so he, he moves in and they go out. Uh, he put money on the horse and he ends up winning at 16 to 1 odds. Uh, he ended up winning. So they're out to uh, drink the winnings. And uh, he meets a lady or maybe meets a lady or so he thinks. Um, he's getting hot and heavy in the car, and uh, <laughs> he finds out that the lady he's kissing on is a man. Uh, it really freaks him out, and piss. Of course, it pisses him off. I when I first watched this, like knowing how his character is at this point, I was nervous. I'm like, oh no, what's he gonna do? Like he's, where's that knife at? I guess he doesn't bring the knife to the club. Maybe. Yeah, uh, I mean, I. I find it hard to believe that he wouldn't have it on him. It's just, you know, maybe, maybe he has enough honor in him that's like, it's not warranted. It's like, I I've, I, I had a hand in this too. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, the disco scene is interesting because it's like, we actually get to see Rent, like, not he's not seeking for anything. Like, he doesn't feel like he's missing out. He's just kind of like watching Begbie, like, 
have fun on the dance floor and he's just kind of rocking around to the beat um but yeah uh begbie has a almost sexual encounter that doesn't go his way um, yes. he's very upset about it um by the way i stumbled across a trivia factoid that uh is actually relevant because kyle had asked me before we started uh recording uh, how much of this film did you watch subtitled? Yeah. <laughs> and the answer was all of it, yeah, of course. that was smart. Um, but, I mean, in my case, they're just on by default. That's how I watch movies. Um, but I'm not going to lie. Some of the accents in this are a little difficult to discern from, you know, an American standpoint. And uh, the trivia factoid here is that uh, apparently the, uh, the first 20 minutes of the movie was uh, dubbed by all the actors, softening their accents to allow us dumb Americans to acclimate to the sound of it. Mm. Very clever, uh, because I'm sure that actually helps quite a bit. Well, I couldn't um, understand anything those guys were saying in Under the Skin. When she's going around talking to dudes, I'm like, D- apps, I have no clue what these guys are saying. Yeah, that was that was particularly bad. Yeah. Um, that, probably, that probably might have something to do with them being non-actors, mm-hmm. too, though. Where it's like, they're not giving a performance, they're just, you know, doing it. <laughs> but... Um, yeah, uh, there's a lovely cut here where we get back to the apartment and we just get a close-up of a finger pushing a doorbell. <laughs> and then, like again, very similar to how Begbie showed up. No transition, no entrance, just the next shot, sick boy in bed. All three of them in one bed, and they're all doing the thing where it's like head at each other's legs. Uh, except now there's three of them in one very small bed. And, oh my god, this looks miserable. But it gets even worse because the next scene is them eating fish and chips together and I love Robert Carlyle's acting here because he's looking straight ahead as if the TV's still there. <laughs> like, the, like the rhythm in which he's looking up and down from his food, he sees a television. <laughs> like, but uh, we, we learn through dialogue that Sick Boy, who is a pimp at this point and a drug dealer at this point, and squatting in Red Boy's apartment at this point, uh, took it upon himself to sell Rent's uh, television. Yeah. Uh, so now the three of them are sitting in a apartment that is only as wide as their three shoulders lined up together, uh, eating and watching a non-existent television. <laughs> and yeah, this is where you can see that Rin's t- starting to get frustrated. One, because Begbie's there, and two, Mark is acting like like they're entitled to his stuff, and it's really pissing him off. But he says like, "I had to hawk your TV," and the way he says it, like, "Why are you upset?" It's like. It's almost like this is something normal that they would do. He's like, I just had to hawk it. I had to sell it. And why are you being upset about this? Like, well, because he doesn't do heroin anymore, and he wanted to watch the TV. So, yeah, you're out of you out of line, bro. Yeah, for real. Uh, he's doing you a big old favor by letting you squat in his apartment. Now you got to steal his shit and sell it and not give him any of the cut. <laughs> like, what the fuck? Fish and chips sounds so good. God damn it. I was trying not to say it. When they were eating it, I'm like, that. that's one of my favorite things is fish and chips. So when I saw them eating it. Me too. Me too. When I saw him eating it, I'm like, oh, don't say it out loud. You're going to want to make it. <laughs> I'm sorry, Kyle. I'm sorry. <laughs> my mouth is filling with saliva now. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. God it's damn it. With the vinegar or whatever. <laughs> you can taste it. Oof. We might. We did fish and chips on St. Patrick's Day. That's the only thing that we did. Oh, hey, that was three months ago, man. You, you've got plenty of distance between them. Yeah, huh? it's fried fish. You're, you're due for another fish and chips. Well, I'm at sea. I'm in. I'm on the coast, so we had fried seafood. I had fried shrimp like two weeks ago, so close enough. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, I thought it was curious. Um, it's kind of cute that uh, Rent gets fed up with their horse shit. 
Uh, so he says that he decides to like grant them an apartment elsewhere of their own. Mm. And he describes it as like the worst place in the world. And it's one of the apartments he was showing earlier yeah. in the movie. <laughs> I don't know, man. Um, His so, apartment is shitty. Like, he has a shitty apartment. It's real bad. Uh, it, it's certainly only meant to accommodate one person. Yes. Um, but yeah, the apartment he he puts them in is actually quite nice. But I think this is like uh, class commentary or something where it's like this. This is like, I don't know, too nice for these fellas. They don't belong there or something um, such that uh, they kind of spoil the thing by never getting employment and never getting an income uh so (laughs) we get a sequence where they like try to spring out of a cupboard and surprise some potential uh, renters Mm -hmm. because apparently the realtor wasn't informed that there were two people living in there um but then uh we have to go back to scotland because uh tommy has died Mm -hmm. um and we have a funeral service for him and during the funeral uh we get a sequence where we're cutting back and forth between Tommy's apartment where he's dead uh, and the actual service. And this fella in one of the pews uh, explains how it all went down uh, to rent. And the way it's interesting because he, he, he says it was caused by toxoplasmosis, which I only know is that thing that Joe Rogan won't shut the fuck up about. Uh, it's, Are you watching this yeah, podcast again? Jesus. Only when there's guests that I'm interested in hearing from. Um, but it, it's come up more than once, and it gets tiresome. Uh, but, you know, if you do a thing oh, over a 1,000 times or whatever, 2,000 times or whatever, you're going to repeat yourself, especially under the influence of whatever the fuck substance is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah. Uh, apparently the story went he got a kitten as a bargaining chip to try to get his girlfriend back. Mm. Um, and then he didn't take care of the kitten, so it was neglected, and it was shitting all over the apartment. And the the droppings apparently caused him to develop toxoplasmosis, more than likely due to a depleted, you know, immune, immune system. system. Yeah. So, um, but yeah. Long story short, Tommy died fi- like face down in a pool of his own vomit. The kitten was fine. Not not a pleasant. Yeah, the kitten was fine. The kitten was fine. <laughs> <laughs> that's the that's the that's the actual end of the story. And um, I like I like Begbie again uh, at this funeral. Like they're kind of talking in the back, and Begbie's sitting in front, and the guy kind of says something kind of loud, and he just kind of like gives him that look, like "shut up!" Like we're at a funeral. Like say what you will about the man, he's got a he's got a code. Yeah, it, it, I think that's the right way of phrasing it. He does have like a personal code of ethics and conduct that only he understands. Yes, but he, he's... <laughs> only he understands. <laughs> uh, but he's very he's very adamant about adhering to it. But um, even after the fact, when they uh, when they go back to Mother Superior's place, and he he, I think he's the one that calls the toast. So he he does have a sense of honor to him. But, yeah. Um, we get a melancholy sequence where Spud sings a lovely little song about he and Tommy riding horses or something. I don't know if this is an actual song, but the lyrics of it fit the situation really perfectly. That's uh, it's touching. Yeah. Especially coming from Spud who has been out of the movie for a long time but is always endearing just because Ewan Bremner is that kind of personality. He seems the most innocent, like just most yeah. genuinely innocent out of the four five. Yeah. Um, um, but all that innocence gets tossed out the window when we head back to Mother Superior's place. Uh, and as Kyle had pointed out, no longer taking up residence here, apparently. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's kind of, it's kind of uh, ironic that the place that they go to to 
to do this this particular chat just happens to be the place that would like trigger yeah. Tommy's ultimate fate. Well, like that's really nasty actually. It is, but it's also a place where uh, recovering you the one of the last places is a recovering uh, drug addict. The last place you want to go was the place where you did the you know the majority of your abuse. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, no. I mean, the like rituals are something that are often spoken about when it comes to like drug use, where you know, just a thing like being in a familiar location or circumstance can get your your brain and your instincts yeah. reaching out towards that same thing because it's like it's expected by your your body chemistry. Yeah, it's like, oh, I'm in that place where I did where I always do that thing. Why am I not doing that thing? Yeah, I had to read a few um, papers on it in college, but yeah, that's a hundred percent true. Oh yeah, no, it, it's it's very true. But um, yeah, uh, what what happens here is everybody's still in their their funeral attire, and uh, Spud is sitting down, and Sick Boy, of course, because Sick Boy is a, a shithead, mm-hmm. uh, and the worst one among them. Like as compared to Bagby, that's saying quite a bit. Yes. <laughs> uh, he has a a scheme here, Kyle. And do you do you remember the details of this? Because it was a little hazy for it me. It doesn't. I, from what I understand, two Russian fellas came. They managed to come across like two kilos of heroin, and I think it's assumed like they didn't know what to do with it, but they knew one guy who could take care of it, and they just wanted to get rid of it fast. So they basically undersold, and they got like two thousand dollars for it. So what his plan is is he's found a buyer in London. Uh, who's going to purchase it for way more. And what they need... I don't know why they all have to be there, but they're all going to do it. But they need uh, rents to uh, try it. Because I think maybe um, Spud might be on like parole or probation or something. And maybe the other... And Begbie doesn't do heroin. And then I guess maybe um, uh, Sick Boy doesn't do heroin anymore. But they have to have rents try it. Sick Boy's only excuse uh, is that he's too careful these days, mm. which probably just means he's not doing heroin because Tommy just died. Um, yeah. But who, who knows exactly what that means? But the point is, Rent, the person who is known to be recovering, yeah. uh, is kind of forced by his, quote, mates uh, to do a really horrible thing to himself, like at a really critical point in his life. There's a really sad moment in The Wire like that uh, in the first season. A guy who's like, he's legit trying to, to, you know, get back on the straight. And McNulty's like, can you, like, I need you to do this for me. We can get you off of this charge that you have. And it's like, yeah, I guess I can do it. And yeah, poor guy. But yeah, he tries the heroin. He's like, oh, it's fucking good. Oh, it's good. <laughs> it's kind of funny. yeah, yeah. You can you can tell it's it's been a while. It's yeah. it's being good to him in this moment. But uh, they all hop on a bus, and we get to see all of them in the turlet uh, going through the motions of getting ready for this this meeting. And a uh, sick boy just kind of uh, needs to be said. Sick boy's appearance in this. He has bleach blonde hair, and he's generally better dressed than most of them, mm-hmm. at least in the traditional sense. Um, he's just like grooming himself essentially and uh, Spud <laughs> Spud has crafted himself an outfit he's trying to look like some sort of posh gangster or something with like orange tinted yeah. sunglasses he's got the Bono glasses <laughs> yeah yeah I couldn't have said it better um, and Rent on the other hand uh, he just got a taste of, of his heroin so now he, he wants one more mm-hmm. uh, for the road literally for the road uh, so he pops in the turret and shoots up one more time 
And meanwhile, Begbie's just kind of scowling and at everybody and throwing back a bottle of something. Yeah, because he is about to, you know, do a drug deal in London, and he is he is still actively wanted for a robbery. So yeah, he is he's a he's a wreck, and he is just chugging some kind of liquor on this bus. Oh yeah, he's not. He doesn't even have it in a bag or mm-hmm. anything. He just has a bare bottle, throwing it back, and uh, he's also bitching about uh, there being no cards. Yeah, I told you to bring the fucking cards. Yeah, he's he's bored. And by the way, uh, cunt is every other word that comes out of Begbie's n- mouth in this movie. <laughs> he, we haven't been saying that, but it, like literally, it's every other word. <laughs> he has one sentence where it's like, "There's four fucks and then a few of the cunts in there too." So it's kind of, it's supposed to be a funny beat, but I didn't write down the sentence. Yeah, it, it's it's all over the place, but it's it's pretty spectacular but um we arrive in london and uh we're all kind of like dressed up like everybody's kind of assuming a role of some sort except for rent who just looks like self um but we almost do like a abbey road walk across the i noticed that too like yeah every, <laughs> like every everybody walking in a well, line together. it's a fucking it's danny boyle i think he's got a thing for the beatles and music in general yeah, yeah. oh absolutely um that's that's one thing that we probably haven't talked enough about in the movie is the the music um the the soundtrack of the movie is very vibrant and it, it it's very eclectic it touches on a lot of different flavors um ranging from like early punk stuff to like 90s dance music yeah like, like electronic dance music and stuff uh it's, it's generally pretty engaging uh in particular the the um cold turkey sequence i noticed there was like an electronic mm-hmm. dance beat playing over the entire scene like the entirety of it it's a very long sequence and it, it works it shouldn't work but it does yeah i have a uh, music notes over the detox sequence because of the i'm like oh the fucking music's great during during this part um yeah. i think that uh rent being there they can kind of tell that he's he's a guy who's on heroin like he's just dressed like a normal dude because when they get to this meeting um the last were you followed like no we weren't followed uh, they get up to this hotel room, and there's uh, one guy leading him there. There's a guy sitting on the bed, and then there's just a guy kind of sitting on a chair behind the door. Who like who's this guy? So th- they're doing this deal, and they have to check it. So this guy that's sitting on the chair is the heroin guy to make sure that it's legit. And I think that the that clearly, I think Rent is supposed to be the other one of those guys. Yeah, it's like it's been checked twice, mm-hmm. basically. Yeah. Um, Funny note, apparently uh, two of the drug dealers in the room, the one that isn't the heroin guy, mm-hmm. uh, are actually brothers. Oh, really? <laughs> um, there's the there's the unibrow guy, and then there's the mouthpiece, and apparently they're actually brothers. Hmm. It's a weird detail. But, um, but yeah, the sequence um, kind of, it, it slightly mirrors that of a lot of these kinds of movies that were around in the, in the 90s, like drug slash gun deal gone bad type movies. Only difference is this one doesn't go bad. Yeah. Um, it it actually throws you a curveball in the form of an actual drug deal gone right, which seemingly never happens in movies, <laughs> such that it's novel. Um, but I did like Begbie trying to haggle. Mm-hmm. He's, he's trying to negotiate the price, and the guy's like, "I like looking you up and down, sir." It's like, yeah, no, nothing you could say to me could sway my opinion. But okay. Yeah, well, I'll play. Like, I'm pretty sure if you're a drug dealer, you know who's a first timer, and it's like these guys are clearly first timers, and there's they they don't they have no experience, and they'll take whatever I give them. So yeah, he starts at 15. He's like, we want 20. He's like, that's too high. He's like, 17. He's like, no, 
16. All right, fine. Okay, I'll do you 16. At that point, he was just tired. Yeah. He's just like, he's like, you know what? I'm already ripping you off. Yeah. <laughs> like, sure. Sure. 16. <laughs> and and the second the door closes, they all, you know, hoot and holler about their success. And it's not even that much <laughs> money. Like, 16. I mean, it's, they're each going to get four grand. It's like, it's not a, not a big deal. I mean, it's British pounds, so it's a little bit more than it sounds. But at the same time, it's like, yeah, it's not that. Much. Yeah, <laughs> like you're you're still gonna need a day job. I mean, if you're still, yeah, I was gonna say, but, but I mean, if Begbie, he's, uh, I don't know how much of a criminal he is, but if he's getting into the criminal enterprise, I guess a good four grand on a first time drug deal, that's something. Yeah, but it's it's a it's a non starter, man. Like like he came into the drugs by accident. Yeah. basically, he got a he got a tip and was in the right place. It's not like he has a fucking pipeline or something. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. But they got to go. Yeah. It's not, it's not sustainable, but that, that's the mentality of the people we're looking at. These are people that will sell someone else's television to keep on keeping on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but yes, now we get the, the tough part of the movie where uh, we're going to go have some pints about it. And we've got quite a few pints about it, uh, but they're kind of just going around the table uh, talking about what they're going to do with their money and they keep making jokes, like uh, Sick Boy makes a joke about, oh, you're just going to run off with the money, he's going to go to the bathroom. And uh, he's like, I'm not going to run off with the money. He's like, shit, I would. And then Begbie's going to go to the bar and get some more pints. And he's like, don't you fucking run off or I'll kill you. He's like, I figured you would, yeah. And then there's a moment between uh, Spud and uh, Rent where he's just like, so let's do it. Like, we can just do it now. We'll just run off. And Spud's just like, no, like... It's, we just can't do it. Before they can even talk about it anymore, Sick Boy comes back. Yeah, uh, it's a it's an interesting moment where it, it actually is very, very unexpected. Because mm-hmm. it, it, it's Rent, who up till this point in the film has been framed as like the most honest of, of these characters and the most sympathetic, uh, maybe minus Spud. Uh, but it's him who who proposes this idea of just like running away with his, his mates' haul. And Spud like Kyle had said, is is the, too loyal to do it and also very, very drunk. Um, but then before any action can be taken beyond that, everybody comes back to the table and uh, Begbie comes back from bringing some drinks back. It was his duty to get the next round and he kind of bumps shoulders with one of the bar patrons. And this escalates so goddamn quickly. Um, it's pretty ugly. Uh, basically, he demands an apology from the guy, but that's not actually what he's asking for. He's basically asking, give me an excuse. Mm-hmm. Um, and he just lays into this guy and shatters his face. It's funny how, <laughs> how this plays out, because he bumps into him, and he spills on his shirt, and he's like, oh, I'm sorry about that. Let me buy you another pint. And he's like, I don't want another pint. You fucking ruined my suit. And this, you can see somebody in the background like, like trying to warn him, and he goes, "Fuck you if you can't hold a pint." And you see him saying, "Don't fucking do that! <laughs> Don't do that!" It's pretty funny, and he fucking glasses his ass. He fucking—I I don't know if he broke it first, but he definitely breaks it into this guy's neck, and it—it uh, uh, it draws quite a bit of blood. Yeah. Um. So yeah, uh, it something was broken on this guy's face, and he also gives him a a, a mafia kick when he's down, mm-hmm. straight in the nose. And yeah, it's it's a pretty grisly moment, and uh, also the blade comes out. Unfortunately, it's not used on this guy. It's used on Spud's palm. Yeah, because Spud actually tries to step in to restrain Begby. Um, but yeah, after all the violence ensues, we have kind of a standoff moment where it's it's Begby and Rent just kind of smoking together and 
the the way they're shot it's like they're both in in shadow and in profile uh it it's almost like setting them up for conflict that uh i don't know if this carries on into the sequel i would imagine it does nothing comes of it but it's just this moment where peace is attained but it's so fragile it's uh he yells at him to bring him a cigarette and he like repeats it and then did you notice that when he's bringing it uh rents like shaking a little bit too Uh, it's very subtle but yet but it's like we need to get the fuck out of here and he's just like because they want him to get out of there and take spud to the hospital he's just like moving even slower and he's got like blood on his hands smoking it's really eerie um but yes to your answer your question it does carry into the second movie uh uh, but uh, i I would imagine but yes they uh i think they head back to the yeah i think they head back to the hotel after this and uh go to sleep yeah and uh we get this really breezy sequence where it it, like it kind of sneaks up on you you're not entirely sure this is going to be the end of the movie until it is but basically everybody's asleep spud's hand is wrapped uh doesn't look like his like it's doing well it's like that might be infected buddy like i'm pretty sure begbie doesn't keep that knife in a holster i'm pretty sure he does like mankind and mr Sacco, and he just kind of puts it down his drawers on the regular so i'm pretty sure that blade is like a komodo dragon's maw like like you will get diseases if its blade touches you yeah (laughs) um but yeah uh rent just kind of awakes probably a few hours before the other fellas and uh he looks at himself in the mirror and like cleans himself up a bit and just kind of casually removes the bag of money from from robert carlisle uh, who has it like cradled against his chest and he just takes off and uh i don't remember any dialogue really here it's just the soundtrack playing over there's just a song playing over it and he just kind of silently leaves the room but there's this touching moment where he stops at the doorway and he looks back and the, the camera pans from his perspective across all of his mates like splayed out across the room and it's kind of like him giving them a silent goodbye like like he knows he's doing something wrong but at the same time it's like they've done some shit to him too and this is kind of him excusing himself from from this chapter of his life and uh, it's made all the more touching by the fact that spud actually awakes and sees him and doesn't make a move to stop him or anything um, and then I don't remember how the narration plays out here, but basically our, our closing shots are of Ewan McGregor uh, walking down the street, um, le- leaving the leaving London. Uh, he there was a little episode earlier in the movie where uh, Sick Boy was asking him to pawn his uh, passport, mm-hmm. um, which he places in in like a, a public storage locker. Um, and then he, he swaps his passport out for a wad of cash. Mm-hmm. Um, but meanwhile, at the hotel, Robert Carlyle is trashing the place. He is <laughs> furious, yes. Uh, what what uh, Ewan McGregor is saying at the end, he's just like, I wish I could give a, give you a reason why I did it. Or like, say, I, I've tried to just, I've justified it in my mind so many times. He's like, it's just plain and simple. I ripped them off. I was, a, I was a bad person. I completely did it for myself. And yeah, Robert Car- Carlyle just the rage <laughs> he is like a toddler who just got t- something taken away from him it is pure carnal rage uh he is destroying this in the and the, the police do come and you can assume that he is going to be shipped back to scotland uh to do time yeah yeah that 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 would be the assumption being as he's supposed to have been on the run since basically the middle of the movie yeah um 
but yeah uh the closing narration um what i remember from it is uh like kyle had said all those details but also he's it's kind of similar to like an slc punk mm-hmm. where it's like he he's willfully becoming a square yeah where he's like i'm going to take all this money and just become a normal person yeah like, like i'm gonna wear a suit i'm gonna do a nine to five i'm gonna be just a one of those people as opposed to like a, a punk or whatever yeah you you start to learn hanging out with people that live by no structure uh that you find out pretty quick that if you're not one of those people and uh, i think he's figuring out that he's like i need some structure yeah no and he and he's like willfully marching to it and our closing shot is just like a close-up of his face like getting closer and closer and closer to us but also uh fading into like blur mm-hmm like it, it, like like I said, the narration matches the visuals there, where it's like he's becoming a, a anonymous just citizen. Um, so it's like his identity is eroding, but perhaps this is healthier for him in the long run. But um, also the money that he he swapped out for his passport in the storage locker, we do see Spud recover that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Spud's doing all right, I hope. Yeah. Uh, like I said, I, I probably will check out the sequel because I, I I do like these characters and I have heard despite being one of those very strange 10 15 years after the fact sequels it's surprisingly okay mm-hmm. yeah but but yeah that is train spotting um i i dare say i think it's my favorite movie from drinking movie month uh so far we still have one more tuesday to go yeah should we tell them um, what it is just so they know if you've gotten this far it's it's your show kyle this whole month has been your picks yeah so yeah go for it uh i'm gonna finish off the month with uh, another one of my favorite uh pretty much drunk watching movies uh punisher war zone uh, we've been putting off talking about this movie for a long time and i feel like this is the good time to do it it's so f- totally from out of left field, mm-hmm. but I kind of love it. Because, mm-hmm. uh, like, for whatever reason, every other movie has been either, like, it's been based in the UK, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and now we have a fucking comic book movie about mm-hmm. shooting people in the fucking head. Living <laughs> in America. Yeah, we're going, we're going back across the pond for this to finish it up. Yeah, bring it home. Bring it man. home, boys. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, that's kind of a random way to end the month, but I'm all for it. But... Uh, yeah, that being said, uh, this was Train Spotting from 1996, uh, directed by Danny Boyle. But uh, in the meantime, uh, if you would like to catch up on any of our other Catching Up on Cinema content, uh, you can find all of that collected on our website at catchinguponcinema.com. Uh, we also have a couple of social media accounts in the form of an Instagram, at Catching Up on Cinema, as well as a Twitter, at Catching Cinema. So feel free to hit me up at either of those. Uh, and the show is available on pretty much every podcasting platform you can imagine, including Cephalopod. So, fucking Google it! But that being said, thanks so much for listening, and we will catch you next time.